This is The 20 with DJ Spider, presented by BeatSource. Welcome to The 20 Podcast, bringing you interviews with the best DJs, producers, and music industry professionals from around the globe. I'm your host, DJ Spider. DJ Spider! That's right, that's right. Welcome to the show, you guys. What is going on? I hope you had a great week. I hope you've been having a great month. I hope everything is good with you. This podcast, as always, is brought to you by BeatSource. BeatSource is the new digital music service for open format DJs. We've got BeatSource Link, where you can DJ off of the cloud, streaming tracks. We also have the offline locker. So much amazing stuff is constantly being added to the site, amazing playlists, all kinds of stuff, and we got the 20 playlists. So uh, log on to BeatSource.com and try it out. If you want a free 60-day trial, use our code, the 20, T-H-E-2-0, and you'll get free 60 days up on there. Let me know what you think. Let me know if you need help. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Please make sure you rate and review our podcast on the Apple Podcast app. That helps us grow, helps us keep doing this show and uh, all that stuff. Thank you guys for the support. I appreciate it. Also, thank you for the support at my gigs. Been back out in the world doing my thing. Um, I was in Cabo, Mexico last weekend. I was in Vegas. All great. Great to see you guys coming out to the shows and saying what up. I've got super exciting show coming up on October 21st in Atlantic City at HQ2, which you will find out more about in this episode. Um, but it's going to be an amazing show. I'm kicking off their Thursday nights, sicker than your average Thursdays. I'll be playing throwbacks, all types of dope stuff. So uh, my first time at this club and casino, please come out and support. Tell all your friends in the area, Philly, Atlantic City, New York, come on, come on out. I will be there. Uh, I'll also be at Love and Propaganda on October 29th in San Francisco, Joy District, Chicago on the 30th and a whole bunch more. Check my website for more info, djspider.com, D-E-E-J-A-Y-S-P-I-D-E-R.com. And now I got to tell you guys about the guests I have on the show. I'm going to give all of you DJs a look behind the curtain, okay? You're going to go behind the scenes here. Uh, I asked a lot of questions I think you guys want the answers to and have some guests that have the answers here for you. I've got two amazing guests who've done a lot in the nightlife and daylife and all around DJ world. Uh, they're both currently running things at the Ocean Casino Resort in Atlantic City, specifically HQ2 Nightclub, and uh, they have a day club out there that's incredible. Um, it's an incredible day club nightclub property, like I was telling you, and on this episode, we learn all about their super interesting backgrounds, uh, which are diverse and full of great stories and experiences. Um, we also learn about what they do now, including... You know what they look for in DJs that they book, um, how DJs can bring value to the clubs that they're playing at. And honestly, they both had so much insight and great advice in this episode that I'm going to have to listen back and take notes. Uh, I think you guys will really enjoy it. So above all, though, besides all of their accolades and everything they do, these are two stand-up dudes who really do things for the right reasons, and it was a pleasure having them on the show and getting to know them better. So please welcome to the 20 Podcast. We've got Manny Ferraros and Zach Seidman. Give it up. All right, we are here, you guys. It is the 20 Podcast, and all the way from Atlantic City, I would like to welcome Zach Seidman and Manny Ferreros. Give it up. 
That's right. The crowd's going crazy, you guys. What's going on? Great. How, what's up, homie? What's up? What's up? How are you guys doing? Fantastic. Surprisingly, we still uh, both have jobs, so it's a yeah. good day. You know, hallelujah. We got to do the applause again for that because uh, <laughs> in the nightlife world, uh, we've all been through an insane year and a half uh, or more, uh, obviously, with covid and all that crazy stuff so to still have jobs is a big feat in itself but um yeah man i am so excited to have you guys on the show and to get to know you better for our audience to get to know you better and find out what you guys do um and your background and everything um so how was you know we're just heading into the fall how was uh the summer in atlantic city i know it was going pretty hard and your club specifically was like going pretty hard this summer so, yeah, you know, um, uh, I'll chime in really quick and then I'll let uh, Zach um, jump in. You know, uh, my uh, my worry initially, uh, you know, not having been through anything like this before, you think right. about you know, what's it what's it going to be like? Right. Um, and, you know, there was two two schools of thought, the thought of, you know, everybody's going to be worried and scared and, you know, all that fear that was out there of being being around people. So part of me was thinking, wow, man, you know, what what if people don't come out? What if people are just worried and like, no, I'm not ready to go out yet. Yep. And then the other thought is, like, you know, this this demographic, I mean, think back when, you know, we were uh, younger and going to clubs. I mean, nothing could stop you. You were you were living for the weekend. Right. So, yeah. Um, so it was either it's going to be let's go nuts or we're not ready. And uh, surprisingly, uh, surprisingly for us, it was it was the floodgates open. We went from on a Friday. The governor said, um, you know, still uh, OK for outdoor venues is 100 percent capacity as long as you socially distanced. Right. Which was very confusing. Right. How do you do that if you're 100 percent capacity? You can't be socially distanced. Right. So uh, we were scurrying around trying to put up plexiglass, dividing all the sections. So we did all of that on a Friday and on Monday. He says, OK, no restrictions came on Monday. So we took down all the plexiglass and and we opened and it, it was it was something to see, you know, um, really how the whole community came out. And the summer was just gangbusters. It was unbelievable to see so many people out. So very happy that we were able to experience that. Oh, I love it. I love to hear that. I know it's been crazy with all the rules and especially with like our industry trying to adjust. We're all trying to adjust, you know, the restaurants and the nightclubs and the events. And they're like, this is the, this is rule, this rule. And some of them, like you said, don't make sense. Like I've been starting to fly again every weekend and and every week and all over. And, you know, you're boarding the plane and they're like, stay six feet apart. And then you get on the plane and I'm like touching cheek to cheek with the guy next to me eating a sandwich. So I'm like, what is what am I, you know, and then they're not checking a vaccine or a test to go on an airplane where you're connected, but you need it to go eat in a restaurant. Like, it's just confusing. And I know everybody's just trying to figure it out and I'm not blaming anyone, but yeah, it's been, uh, it's been hard to figure out. So it's so good to hear that you guys have been successful and packed. And I mean, I've seen the videos and it, it looks absolutely incredible. You've been bringing in some of the, the best acts. Um, we had, actually, I interviewed Medusa, uh, I think either right after or right before they played at your club. And I saw the video of them playing there. It looked so, looked epic pretty much. Yeah, it was a great show. Um, 
you know, obviously they're, they're incredibly popular and um, we were very, very happy to be able to, to get them in house. And I think this was our, our second show with them mm-hmm. uh, that, that we okay. did with them. So yeah, uh, incredibly excited and, and happy for their success. Me too. They're like such nice people. Like they came on the show and they were just like these nice Italian guys, you know, that were just like all about music. And it was funny because I interviewed them, I think two days before they went to Vegas for their first time in their life. And so I'm like, I feel like next time I see you guys, you're going to be completely changed people. Like if they've never been to Las Vegas, they're going to come back like, yo, we own the world now. Um, but yeah, <laughs> super humble and cool. Um, well, man, it's so good to have both you guys on. And, and also I think that if I'm not mistaken, we're all dads, correct? Uh, well, some of us are, are, are very close, very close. Uh, Zach is right there. Very close. So, okay. So uh, yeah. I saw you post a picture that, yeah, there, uh, that you've got something, something on the way, right? So, so we've got a future yeah, dad. Future dad. The summer was not only crazy in the nightclub and the day club, but also in life. Um, super excited for it, though. Oh, my God. All right. Well, we'll welcome you to the club. I think we're both experienced. My son will be nine uh, in less than two weeks. And I know you've got uh, a couple uh, daughters, right? Yeah, I have. Uh, so one of them is actually turning 18 on Saturday. Oh, wow. So uh, hence why I'm bald. No, this is, <laughs> yeah, this is not a camera defect. I'm, I'm really I'm really bald. Uh, yeah, I have two daughters. Obviously, uh, they're, they're blessings. And uh, yeah, but uh, one is turning 18 and the other one's uh, 11. She still likes to hug me. The 18 year older to be not so much. So enjoy it, Spider, because, you know, Yo. they, they get to a point where I was like, nah, I know I'm already feeling it. I dropped him off at school this morning and. I was like, you know, love you, bye. He's like, bye. He's just like out, like with his bag, like, oh, I got to yeah. go, dude. Sorry. <laughs> so I know. I'll Stay, love. In the car. Stay in the car, dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I'm have like, so many all of you about this. Uh, we can go on for days. We yeah. trust this. We've, we're we're going to do a dad podcast, uh, you know, and, uh, and like diaper duty. Dude, we got it. We're going to, we're going to, you know, we, I'm sure we've taken great notes that we'll be able to, to share with you. <laughs> yes. You just got to get the bottle service uh, servers, you know, to come in, except with like the milk bottles in for your kid and, you know, <laughs> might entertain them a little I bit. Totally, I can totally see that. Like the baby <laughs> wakes up and Zach just makes a phone call and they come like, in comes in like the baby bottle, right? Like, it. like exactly. two, two girls on a, a presentation and, and like sparklers lingerie. on it. I like that. Now, damn, oh, man. Shoot, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Take notes. That's your first note. Your wife is like, "What the hell are you doing?" <laughs> uh, baby bottle service. Yeah, <laughs> that that could be a new thing. You know, baby bottle service. I mean, people are going to need that. Even if the club shut back down, yeah. we're going to need baby bottle service. <laughs> yeah. That's a special brunch party you guys have. Everyone wheels in their uh, strollers <laughs> yeah. to the club. <laughs> HQ2. Swirling yeah. around the swaddle baby blanket things. Um, all right. So, so dad life, you know, we can, we can discuss that forever. Like you said, that's, uh, that's our, you know, that's our, that's our life. But uh, before we get super deep into all of our, you know, backgrounds, your backgrounds, and uh, learn all the tricks of the trade. Um, I feel like we should let everybody know something that is going down on October 21st. Um, you guys are starting 
a new Thursday night at uh, your club HQ2 at the Ocean Casino in Atlantic City. And it's called Sicka Then Yo Average uh, Thursdays. And I will be kicking it off. It's your new open format slash throwback old school hip hop, uh, 2000s hip hop type night, right? Um, so let's, uh, let's give them some info on that if you guys have any more to say about it. Yeah. Uh, so when, you know, in Atlantic City, Labor Day weekend, there's like a shutoff, right? There's right. like a switch. Everyone, you know, everyone from New York, North Jersey, Philadelphia, they all scatter to Atlantic City and the shore points for the summer. Yeah. Once Labor Day weekend hits, that, that switch goes off and they all go back home. Um, and when that happens, the day club closes. Uh, and when the day club closes, uh, it means that one of our highest revenue generators goes away and right. goes away for you know, seven months. Yeah. So we're looking for different avenues <clears throat> for us to make more revenue, you know, in the nightclub, we have a very successful Friday and Saturday business model uh, that is uh, pretty much based off of dance music and EDM. Right. And, you know, we were looking for different avenues to get people to come to the casino and come to the nightclub. And we were discussing it as a team. And we're like, wow, there's a whole catalog of DJs and music genres that we're not completely missing, but we can base a whole night off of um, and and get people to come to the casino. Uh, and, you know, it, it was strategically based off of, you know, one of the busiest nights uh, for the casino capacity wise. Uh, you know, there's nine fully operational casinos right now in Atlantic city that are open that are filled during the week with casino players and people that are going out. Right. And there's not much to do during the week. So we're really looking for different avenues on how to get people to our venue and give them an, a different option than what we do on Fridays and Saturday nights. You know, each one of these casinos has anywhere between a thousand to three thousand employees that are considered hospitality people or industry people. Yeah, uh, and a lot of them are filled with casino players. And instead of giving them an option to go to a different casino and be entertained at, at a different property, we'd like to keep them here and 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 make sure that they have fun here. Right. So it's also extremely hard to fill a calendar with all the DJs that are out there with just Friday and Saturday night. And, you know, we felt that if we based a night off of the 90s, the 2000s and, and old school hip hop and, and fun music and experience, that it would it would be an easier way for us to be successful. I love it. I think that's so cool. And so that's what I was going to say. Like, so how do you envision the music? I mean, you sort of just described it, but um, just like an old school hip hop, but but also just throwbacks and like fun stuff. Is that kind of what you're picturing too? Like all the pop fun nineties throwbacks and sing along stuff and stuff that girls and everybody loves to sing along to. Yeah, exactly. I like I, after talking with everyone on the staff and everyone from the marketing department and, and everyone that goes out, everyone's been stuck at home for 15 to 18 months, Yeah, you know, and they're looking for fun and, you know, some people might call it corny, but everyone has a blast when they go to a wedding and they sing along and they dance and they want to be out 
and yeah. they want to have drinks and they want good hospitality and they want to hear good music. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes the EDM dance doesn't allow you to do that. Yeah. No, it's totally true. I mean, actually, a prime example of what you're talking about was I, I DJed this weekend in Mexico. I was down in Cabo and I got booked. You know, I don't do that many weddings. It has to be a very like special kind of thing. And I have to talk to the people and make sure we're on the same page and everything. But I got booked to do this event and they had me do they had a band at their wedding, but they wanted me to DJ still cool music and club style but DJ the end of their wedding, just literally like a 40-minute set. Then we went to a whole nother after party where a lot of the wedding guests didn't come, some of the older people, and it was just mainly the bridegroom and their younger friends. And we went to a whole different venue, jungle venue, and I played like all crazy house music EDM, you know, and it was like there had to be that that disconnect for like, okay, at this party we're doing this, and at this party we're doing this. So I think you're right, and I noticed the feeling of – People just want to party and have fun anywhere I've played since I've come back, especially like Las Vegas and places with casinos like that. People, it's like oozing out of them how much they want to party and sing along and are open to all kinds of music. And I'm playing, you know, the new big EDM house songs that have the sing along choruses, the stuff that they're, I was playing Calvin Harris songs from 12 years ago and people are losing their mind, you know, like you used to hold me. Like all those songs are almost like throwbacks now to some of those people too, because they're in their early thirties. They were like 21 coming to the club when those songs were huge. So to them, it's funny, like these songs from 10, 12 years ago are throwbacks in a way too. Like I've been noticing even the EDM stuff. Um, so there's a lot of stuff out there and then even just, yeah, I mean, there's like the two thousands rock and the, there's, there's so much, that's like my favorite kind of set to play is just an eclectic set of everything together. And the, the lineup of DJs you've put together is pretty mind blowing. Um, you know, thank I'm included in there, uh, (laughs) which I'm really grateful and thankful for. Um, but to see some of the other people you texted me and showed me that we're going to be on there. Can I announce, um, any of the other people that you have coming up? Of course. Okay. So I'm going to kick it off Thursday, October 21st. So anybody that's listening right now before that date, I need to see you there. And, uh, then we've got the incredible DJ vice, the King, the legend, uh, doing your, uh, Halloween, October 28th, Halloween throwback party. Uh, you've got Montone after that. You've got Danger Zone. You've got Angie V. Um, I mean, just right there, that lineup is crazy. And then I saw some of the uh, potential future ones that I don't think I could talk about, right? But the list is is really dope. And I think everybody you've booked completely understands that um, sort of like, you know, format or vibe that you're going for and is going to be able to just like kill it in that room, you know, and play all the fun sing-along songs and all the stuff that we love to hang and party to. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, listen, it, a lot of the DJs that we've, we've booked and, and asked to come play have relationships in Atlantic city, have played here for a very long time. You know, a lot of people still talk about murmur Mondays and, and, and yeah. there's industry nights and and mix and wanting to get those experiences and that type of vibe back to Atlantic City totally. and it's something that the staff wants and it's something that we want and we want to have fun with it and you know we just felt like it was needed 
Yeah. I mean, those Monday night industry parties in Atlantic City I used to do, like, so much fun. I mean, you would play everything. And that was even at a time when EDM and house music, the open format guys like me, weren't playing that as much or it wasn't as acceptable. But when you would come to uh, Atlantic City or some other places in New Jersey, you could really go in and play those songs. And it was cool to, like, get that feeling and and have us able to play it and then mix it up with hip hop and scratching and rock and all the different sing along songs in between. So, um, and then as, as it became more mainstream, you know, we would, we would incorporate it into our sets, but yeah, I love those, those nights. So I think it's, I think it's genius. You guys are bringing it back. I'm so excited to be a part of it. Um, yeah. Is there any other, any other things you want to talk about related to it music wise or guest wise, or we can start, talking about other stuff yeah i mean you know the only thing i would want to mention and obviously uh, um you know we so if, if you recall uh, at one point this this city was open seven days a week from a nightlife perspective you had yeah murmur mondays right you had uh, you know dusk, dusk on tuesdays yeah the pool and howard wednesdays had an industry night then you had haven thursdays and then obviously friday and saturday and then uh there on sundays yeah right so at one point yeah, there wow. was something to do uh, for everyone, right? And we right. just felt that, you know, there was a need, right? There was a need for, for something. Because, I mean, it's it's a shame that we have nine casinos and there's conventions, obviously, prior to COVID, you know, there were conventions that come into town and they're just people. I mean, it's a, you have a lot of people that, let's say, work on the weekends or, you know, from a price point, they just can't afford to, you know, to spend X amount of dollars on a weekend. Right. But they'll come down on a Tuesday or Wednesday or whatever, and they still want an experience. And to me, it was like, man, what a, what a, what a shame. It's like we're shortchanging yeah. that there's a whole market. Imagine coming into um, a market that has casinos. You come in, maybe you make a night, uh, you know, uh, a night of it with your wife or your date or whatever. You come in, you have dinner, maybe you go get a massage. And then it's like, what do we do? There's right. nothing to do. And yeah. we just fell from a music perspective. You know, the things that we do on, on the weekends, let's say, are a little bit more serious from a music perspective but you know that in, in in all honesty that's a minority of people the majority of people think about the people that have let's say like a nine to five job and are not into the culture like we are right yeah they, they just you know they get up in the morning they get in their car drive to work they put on their local radio station and they're listening to whatever a multitude of music and it may not be hip-hop or edm it could be just you know the power of music is that one song can take your mind back to to whatever, whether it was a breakup, uh, you know, a great date, uh, you know, you went out with your friends. That that's the power, I think, of what we do, right? That we're able to, uh, whether you're programming music or we're organizing events, you know, that's that's the common denominator. So for for us thinking about doing something on Thursday, was just to do something fun for everyone, right? Um, because sometimes on the weekends um, we have great talent, but maybe for someone that's not into the culture, uh, let's say, uh, you know, to a higher level, yeah. it's over their heads and it's intimidating, right? So how about doing something that is just feel good music? So, you know, um, you know, to me, good music is good music and it's timeless. I mean, uh, you know, look at, let's say, Robin S, Show Me Love. Yeah. When that song came out, you can still drop that today and people lose their mind. I mean, everything is recycled, right? I mean, look at now 
uh, I mean, uh, you know, um, when, um, you know, night crawlers, right? Push yeah. the feeling on. Right. Uh, okay. And now, um, what's the one that they're doing? Oh, my God. It's, uh, it's is the, it the... Allure's Dance? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, Allure's Dance, and and the other one that uh, it was Dave Morales. Um, I think it was David Morales, or um, that everybody's sampling it now. Right, so oh many God. songs, and they're just doing the cover versions. I've noticed they'll just get someone to sing, sing the similar yeah. version, you know, over it, and like, and a lot of the DJs now are like, oh, what the hell? I was playing that 10, 15 years ago, but I'm like, the people in the club yeah. weren't. You know, it's their. You have to realize, Absolutely. like you said, we're here. We're ingrained in the culture. We're always part of it. But to other people, they're just experiencing it for their first time. And like you said, I think we take for granted that intimidation factor. When you first start coming to clubs and all that, it is intimidating, especially big places, and you don't know what you're doing and you're getting your footing. So I think that is nice and more accessible. Um, and, yeah, to speak on the music as well, like people are – it's all, it all just keeps coming full circle. It's like a cycle, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think, you know, as a DJ, um, you know, you, you, there's so much great stuff that sometimes you just don't get to play anymore. I know. Because you have, let's say, like a 90-minute set or a two-hour set and it's peak time or whatever. Yeah. But you know what? It's, it's so great to be able to drop something out of left field that, that just catches people off guard. And ultimately, yeah. I think that's what it's about, right? Mm -hmm. It's about creating... Creating a, 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 an environment where it's just fun and people leave like, you know what? That was cool, man. And, you know, maybe you forget about whatever reality you're living in. You know, we all have a life outside of work and, yeah. and, and sometimes you just, you know, it's, it's a lot to deal with, especially on the heels of not just on the heels, but what we're still living. I mean, you see all the stuff yeah. that, that we see every day. Oh, there's things are spiking this and that. And, you know, um, people have endured a lot in the last you know, uh, let's say 18 months. Yep. So I think that part of what we're trying to do is just, you know, do something where it's fun. It's going to be very approachable, very easy on the palate where we also want to have fun. Yeah. You know, we, we want to be in a, you know, in an environment where like, man, this, you know, this is great. We want to invite our friends, uh, you know, our colleagues, whether, whether you work at, you know, in a hotel, whether you're a concierge, you work in a, you know, in a restaurant or you park cars. You know, everybody's welcome. Um, and uh, obviously, this is kind of like it's almost a way of us giving back, you know, to be able to take care of people that don't necessarily um, have an opportunity to go out and party on the weekends. And, you know, our industry has been really impacted. Yeah. You know, um, for a while, we, 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 we got some pushback because people were saying, hey, there is no industry no anymore. Industry left. I'm like, and right. we disagree. It's just the industry's there. But if we're not giving them, something to do they're going to find something else to do somewhere else so right like like it, yeah. it's extremely hard when you have a, a high-end customer coming to your market during the week and you ask them they're like yo what do i do i just had a steak dinner yeah. and, and you go hey man you got to go to this bar down the street yeah right. like off the meeting path in atlantic city because nothing's open in the casino <laughs> right now right. you know yeah it's like or or you have like all these industry people that work in the casinos and the hospitality sector. Yeah. And they're like, yo, I didn't get to experience any of that. I work on Friday and Saturday. Exactly. So I haven't yeah. been in the club 18 months, you know? Right. Yeah. No, it totally makes sense. You, I mean, you got to feed that. And like you said, everybody can kind of go, well, there's nothing to do. You know, I think people tend to be in that defeatist 
attitude sometimes being within this pandemic still and well there's nothing there's no events or there's no industry but there will be nothing unless people build it or make it happen so you need to have people like you that are like listen i got this idea and i'm gonna try to make this happen i mean just zach i remember you telling me about this a while ago you know what i mean and without people i think like both of you who are able to just go okay this is an idea we're gonna write it out we're gonna make this happen rather than like it would be cool if this but it's not there you know and i think that's what a lot of people they just sort of go oh well someone will do it you know so yeah i think it's so smart i think that's a really good attitude and a really good approach you know to how you guys are doing it uh and thank you even i i I think it's it's commendable and really cool um we appreciate it yeah um, so can I ask you guys some questions, um, I guess from your perspective as, you know, people that put on these events and book DJs and stuff like that. Cause I think a lot of our audience are DJs and they maybe don't want to get in, in the mind of someone like you, you know, and know what, what, if they are trying to get booked or, you know, they're trying to create their career and what they can aim towards. Um, I guess before we get into that though, I, when you were talking about the differences of the EDM DJs and open format and the nights and stuff, do you have, uh, are there any big differences that you notice, um, between open format and dance music DJs, like in their sets or in their personalities? I mean, obviously the very basic thing about their music, but is there any like specific things you notice in the actual difference of like the types of DJs? Um, so look, everybody, you know, um, you know, everybody's their own, has their own personality. Right. And I think, uh, you know, you have these, you have these, um, larger acts that like, you know, touring DJs that are obviously, you know, they're, they're just, they're living, you know, they live on the road. Right. Um, and, and to them, I think it's, um, you know, it's more about, Hey, I'm coming here. I'm going to do my, you know, do my set and then hit the road. Right. Um, you know, I think it's a lot not to diminish what these bigger names do, right? Yeah. Um, because they still come and they entertain. Of course. Uh, but, you know, when you have these, let's say, smaller DJs, I think that uh, they're more focused on really creating a party, you know, um, which, which to me, you know, um, as a DJ – you know, you can't take yourself too seriously. And, and, and I say that because, you know, this is uh, this is what I've been doing for 30 years. Yeah. Right? And I started as a DJ and I, I still DJ. So right. I understand what it's like to be behind a DJ booth. Right. And and uh, on the outside as an operator. So to me, no matter what I'm doing in the room, you know, my eye, my ear as a DJ is always tuned. Yeah, of course. So I know when, when somebody, you know, when when there's a, um, you know, maybe a, a mix that gets away from you uh, or maybe sometimes, you know, um, when maybe the, 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 you know, the, in my opinion, what the right sound in the room should be. And, and as a DJ, I try never to go to the booth and say, hey, right, because, um, you know, to me, it's all about the guest. To me, it's always been about the people that wait in line, right? The people that wait in line, they pay, you know, a cover to get in and they've made a choice. And this is a, this is a very, it's a hyper competitive market. Like Zach said, there's nine casinos. People have choices. Yeah. Our alcohol is no different than the corner bar, right? right? 
Tito's is Tito's, whether you buy it here and you're paying $14 for a cocktail or you go into the corner bar and you're paying $6 for it. Yeah. So the fact that people come here uh, and make a choice to come to HQ because we've organized an event and so on and so forth, to me as a DJ, right, and speaking as a DJ, yeah. I never forgot that I was there for the people. Yeah. It was never about me or my ego. And I've never forgotten that um, since, again, I'm 30 years deep in, and I still have that same feeling. The reason why I'm still doing this is because I have a love for the culture and the art form. Yeah. I, and, and I still feel the same way every day when I get up. Um, I'm very fortunate to be surrounded by, you know, peers like Zach and, and, and a great bunch of other people that – that collectively, you know, we, we come together, and we make stuff happen. But with DJs, look, I've seen some that disappointed me personally because of their behavior. You know, you can never forget, you know, why we got into this. Right. Right. I think the minute you forget that, you, you probably should do something else. Now, we can all have off nights. How many nights as a DJ, maybe you had a night that you personally didn't feel that you were you know, technically spot on, but the crowd is is reacting, oh man, and then they come up, dude, that was great. And there were other times so, that yes. you were like, man, that was great. I, I nailed everything. I feel good as as a DJ from a from a performance perspective and yeah. that you were true to the art form. But the vibe and the energy may not have translated. So as a DJ, it's always that fine line, right? So to me, I never forgot that, hey, I'm here to entertain. And I think that anybody that that we, you know, that we go after the book and make a part of what we're doing, we, we, we take that into consideration that, that we're hiring people that are in line with what we're doing and what we're trying to do. Because, you know, ultimately, you know, the easy part is when we open the doors. The hard part is doing basically what we're doing is to like, hey, what would work on a Thursday? Who are the people that we want to involve? What's the format? Who, who are the guys that are going to that we feel are going to complement what we're trying to achieve? And then you you invite those people into into the circle and, you know, we continue to work together and push through it. So um, but I do think that, you know, you should never lose that eye of the tiger. Right. Meaning like you, you should you should always be hungry to learn something, to entertain, because ultimately people are coming here for you. And it's your it's 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 all our jobs to make sure that they leave happy. That honestly, such good insight and such words of wisdom that I think people could take so much from, you know, like you got to rewind that what some of the stuff you said, because yeah, it, I'm not following that. I'm not, I'm not going <laughs> to follow that. No, Zach, you know what's up. I've talked to you before and you've had you've also told me some great insight about things like that. And with some of the things that Manny's speaking on are some things that I used to hear DJ AM say and talk about. And that's someone that you've talked about as some of your influences. And I think it's so insightful to say that some of the open format people really don't lose track of that. They're there to create the party and for the people, because like AM used to say to me, like, if I was opening for him, he would sort of say like, okay, this is the kind of stuff you should play. Cause then I'm going to do this. Or he would say like, you're there for the girls or you're there for the people, you know? And it was the same kind of thing. Like, like, don't forget that. Like, because you want to be up there, you you're scratching, everybody's staring at you. It feels like it's your show. And, but at the same time, you have to have that, 
that you know i don't know symbiotic relationship or whatever it is like that connection with the crowd and you're there for them and that's the where the importance of reading the crowd comes in too because if you're just up there like well i made this show these people suck they're not reacting it's like well maybe you need to react you know just like i don't know you know so you have to be able to look at them and and feel the energy and and change and go as you go with it and um create the party, you know, and realize that you're there for them as well. So that's, that's so smart. It's such a, such an important thing that I think that people need to remember. And, and yeah, you will start to take things for granted and you won't always have the best night, you know, and you just have to kind of keep going. That's how you learn through the experience. So that's amazing. Um, well, um, how about this question? What can DJs do to get your attention in a good way? Like, let's say there's DJs that want to get booked or are trying to one day DJ at a place or even just open or, or get in. Is there ways, like, like, how do you find new talent? What, what, you know, or how do you seek out new talent? How does, what's something that someone could do that, that you're like, okay, I, I think this person could work with us potentially. So from, from that aspect, I've, I've always use the relationships that I have with DJs that are that that have a reputation that I've booked for a very long time that are in the scene that that are that are traveling around the nation and and where I'm in Atlantic City and I can only watch from social media or, or you know not being at work yeah and and getting their insight on who the up and coming DJs are like whose brand goes along well with our brand? Um, Who should I be looking out for? Who can, you know, benefit our venue by, you know, some people that they can bring in? Who, who has, you know, like for me, it always comes down to like, yo, first off, is this person a good person? And does their brand align with our brand? Right. Okay. That's the first thing. Like, because nobody really wants to deal with, with an an asshole. Right. Like, they're, they're, they're in our, you know yeah uh and then the second thing is for me is are, are you talented uh are, are you talented enough to be in a venue that has a standard that might be right up here right uh and then uh, and then all the other small things come along after that after being a good person and brand and, and then you know then the price point comes in yeah. and you know where you're from and who your crew is and all that stuff and and, and th- I always go back to relationships and people who are in the scene and, and can go to Vegas and be like, yo, I heard this dude. He was dope. You should definitely look in bringing him to Atlantic city. He would play this market perfect because you know, this is the type of music he plays right, and, and right. stuff like that. That's no, that's great. And then, yeah, that also shows why you, anywhere you are, you should be giving it your all because you never know who's listening to you and could be like, yo, Zach, man, you got to check this person out. You know, like, even if there's eight people where they're DJing or something. Um, sorry to cut you off, Manny. What were you going to say? No, no, no. I mean, you know, for me, it's a combination of things, right? Because it's, it's um, again, I, I look back at when I started, uh, yeah. you know, um, when I started as a DJ, it's like, look, you know, we all need opportunities. Somebody has to give you an opportunity and a break, right? It just, for me, personality is big. I'm all about the person. Yeah, uh, I'm not big on egos. Uh, I'm not big on on people that 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 think that you know, um, whatever they think too much of themselves. Um, mm-hmm. And to each their own. I'm, I I certainly I'm not I'm not here to judge anyone. 
I just think yeah, that, <clears throat> and I speak from my experience when I was in Boston and I experienced uh, the success, if I can use that word as a DJ that I did up there, you know, I never considered myself uh, the best DJ. I was an average DJ at best, but the combination of my work ethic, my personality and professionalism, you know, that combination uh, made me relevant in the sense that, look, I, I mean, I was living the culture, but so, um, but again, it's like, hey, if the gig started at 10, I was there at 930. Yeah. Right? I, I always marketed what I was doing and I'm going back a long time before social media. Right. You know what I'm saying? So um, the reason why I was able to maybe have the residencies that I had, is because I worked at making sure that what I did was successful, yeah. not just for myself, for the venue. Right. So we get emails all the time and, uh, you know, whether it be personal emails or in the uh, uh, in the general inbox. And I never forgot what it was like to be on the outside of the booth. Right. So I always read the emails. I try to be courteous, professional, reach out to people and just have a conversation. Yeah, because I can pick out someone that that's just in it because, hey, HQ, you, I want to play there. Of course. Yeah. looks. Yeah, I mean, you know, what what DJ doesn't want to play, let's say, Ultra Music Festival or EDC? <laughs> right. right. Yeah, we all want to do that. But, um, you know, uh, to me, it's all about how you how you present yourself, how you conduct yourself. So I always like the same thing like when 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 we interview somebody, somebody could apply for a job and have an incredible resume. Yeah. I don't hire resumes. I hire people. Yeah. I hire character. So it's the same thing with, with, with the DJ. We get approached all the time. And, you know, to pick up on something that Zach said. So we have industry peers, right? So let's say you're on the West Coast and a West Coast DJ may, maybe hits us up, right? Yeah. That we don't know. We'll do it like, hey, Spider. Yeah. DJ X hits up. Are you familiar with him? Right. Right. So, you know, this is an approach that we use with everything, not just, not just, uh, you know, given, uh, uh, you know, opportunities to somebody, because at the end of the day, guess what? You know why I'm sitting here? You know why he's sitting here? Because of opportunities, yeah. right? Someone along the line gave you an opportunity. It's like, you know, they get, we were up at bat. We swung that bat that got us to another team and got us to another team and so on and so forth. So, um, we try to involve new people. And I mean, a lot, a lot of our openers were people that we didn't know, right. you know, that we didn't know. And uh, look, I've passed on known talent just because of, of how they came across. It's not just if you're a good fit for us, we also have to be a good fit for you. And I'm okay with saying no, you know, and, yeah. and if somebody, if we give an opportunity to somebody and that somebody, you know, I can tell the difference between someone having an off night and 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 uh, and being someone that fits our brand, right? And someone that just you know didn't really give a crap. This was just another paycheck, and they're moving on. Chances are, people like that won't come back here. Yeah, I, I can give you a perfect example of this, and it yeah. happened to me in 2018. I got a cold call from Danger Zone, an email. Yeah. To, or it might have been an Instagram direct message. And he was like, yo, he introduced himself, heard about the nightclub, wanted to hit the market in Atlantic City. I didn't just blow him off. And I was like, yo, homie, nice to meet you. Da, da, da. Let me do some research. Right. Let me see where my calendar's at and let me get back to you. Um, did a little research. Vice was one of our residents there. 
hit Vice up and I was like, yo, man, what's up with this dude? And then I hit up a couple other people and I had a couple people that were like, yo, sign off on him, you know, like try him out. He's he'll be great in the club. Right. So called him up. I booked him on a Sunday night in the middle of the winter on a Sunday. Right. It was, you know, cold winter Atlantic city. We had dinner and we kind of like hit it off and he prepped for his set. He asked what to play. He went back to his room and, and prepared for a couple hours, came in, rocked a room that was pretty empty. Right. And just played an amazing set marketed the venue and did everything right. And to this day, we're like extremely close friends. And I know if I book him that he's not going to make me look bad and right. he's going to play the room the right way, you yeah. know? Yeah. That's great. No, that's a great example. And, um, that's a good commercial for danger zone. Um, the, <laughs> <laughs> he can, he can now cut this and use it on his own, uh, Instagram, but yeah, no, right? I think, I think that honestly, it's a prime example and that's such a good, you know, real world thing for people to look at and take, take something from, you know? And, um, yeah, that, that's so, that's, that's great to hear. Um, so as, there's also another yeah. there's also another thing that I used to see a lot in 2009 when AM was around when his when I worked at Dusk in Atlantic City right. is that all the DJs that were up and coming and were were uh, wanted to be where he was they would come and see him and right. they would network right yeah. and they would just stand behind the booth to to watch what he was doing to to try and meet him and get some advice but then also network you don't you don't see many djs doing that anymore like going to say you have a gig in in vegas on a saturday going to vegas on wednesday and then hitting every nightclub on thursday friday meeting as many people as you can seeing other djs and networking to try and get your brand out there you don't see that as much anymore either you're right. Um, I know. And I think that's something I always did, you know, and I still kind of do, even though I, I'm more known and I've done my thing. Like, I think I was in Vegas a few weeks ago and I went a day or two early and same thing. I went, I made sure I went to IU day club and night and went to all the new spots and yeah. showed my face, saw people. And even if the networking, I mean, it was just more genuine. I want to see everybody and be out there, but it's the same kind of thing. Like I also want to get a feeling for what's the music like now? What are people into? What are the crowds like? You know, uh, I heard, you know, ruckus playing some stuff I had never heard before. And then I was like, okay, I got to look into that. Is that what's happening now? Okay. I heard, then I heard these DJs playing this. And, um, so same kind of thing. You, you're not gonna, you have to immerse yourself into the world to really know what, uh, to, to, to bring, to know how to bring the right thing to the clubs, you know, and especially with everything being totally different, like how we're going to do this throwback night, um, this thing in Vegas, I'm doing, they want new stuff. The thing I just did this weekend, they wanted, you know, EDM this, you know, so everything as an open format DJ is now different. So you got to really be on the ball and sort of, you know, be in tune with what people want and what's happening. So yeah, that's true. Um, uh, let me just jump, uh, jump in there if I can really yeah, quick. Please. Um, you know, back in the day when we used to go to record stores and record shop, yeah. right? 
uh, I couldn't wait, right? I couldn't wait uh, uh, to, because we knew that, you know, shipments would come in on, uh, let's say on a Wednesday and on a Friday. And, you know, you had like the three or four different record stores you used to go to. Yeah. And it was very different because I could tell you that that's, I, I've gotten, I got some great gigs just because I went to a record store, ran into a fellow DJ that would say, listen, I'm on vacation in three weeks. Can you cover for me? Right. Yeah. And then so you go true. in and you play at, at this place that you haven't played at. You make new friends. Somebody may say, wow, man, you know, we really like the way that you play. Can you, you know, can you come back? Whatever. Like we're doing, you know, we're doing a, a, like a new night uh, on this Tuesday or whatever it is. Opportunity always came. The, you know, I think part of the issue today with social media, it's so easy to try to market yourself that it's actually the social aspect has been removed, right? You have to, I think part of, so you true. know, Part of being successful in any business, it's supporting others. When I was um, living in Boston uh, as a DJ, whatever nights I did not DJ, I was out. Right. I was out because I had friends that maybe, you know, uh, not just at other, uh, you know, at other nightclubs, but I had, you know, friends that would come and see me, let's say from a restaurant or, you know, they had a clothing store or whatever it was. If you want things to come back to you and you want people to support you, you have to support the cause. And I think that that's the difference because, you know, when I started as a DJ, um, you know, I, I, at a very young age, I started as a musician. And then when I went to my first teen dance, I saw the turntable. <laughs> Amazing. And the turntable, I'm like, what is that? Like, what? So I was instantly glued. I found my way to the DJ booth. I didn't know anything about DJs or anything. And I'm like, right. there's a guy with two turntables doing stuff. And I'm like, oh my God. So I looked at the turntable as an instrument, yeah. right? And I think what happens is that there's the people that genuinely have a love and a passion for whether it's throwing a party or DJing or whatever it is. And then there's the people that go to a party and say, this is cool. I like to do this. So they, in my opinion, they get into it for the wrong reasons. And then all of a sudden, it's not about you doing the work. It's about you reaping. You just want to reap the benefits and how many, I mean, you know, I've seen so many people uh, over my, over the span of my career that got into it because they saw the opportunity to cash in or capitalize or party. Well, this, you know, they say this piece working for a living, right? I'm going to drink, party and, and DJ because I can yeah. bring 30 or 100 of my friends. And that happened. That happened a lot through my career where actual really good DJs lost their gigs because there was somebody that had no business being in a DJ booth, but because they were popular and they could bring a hundred of their friends on a guest list, they were managers that, you know, <laughs> replaced an actual DJ yeah. whose job was to keep the room moving with someone that could bring more people, but had no business being behind a DJ booth. Not sure that it applies to what we're talking, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's you have to support the culture, right? And and you have to support others if you want that that support back. And and you have to embrace it. I mean, I think that, uh, again, I miss going out record shopping. Now it's great that, you know, at three o'clock in the morning, you can go to Beatport or whatever and download, 
you know, download music and, and all yeah. that stuff. And and another, another very important part, in my opinion, I know I'm a little bit long-winded, but... No, you know, come on, you're we, speaking like things that need to be in a DJ Bible at this point. Like, you're... <laughs> say it, please, because it's the truth, all you know, the stuff you're saying. I, I think that part of being successful in any, you know, in, in you know, in whatever you're doing, yeah. if you're a chef... I think it's good for you to go to another restaurant and try yeah. try somebody else's meatballs, right? 100%. Um, so for me as a DJ, uh, it's always good to not just go and support uh, what other people were doing, right? Uh, but also to just, and I mean, you know, I'm sure you can, you, you can relate to this because I think you touched on it already, that you go to a, you go to a club and you hear maybe a song that you've never heard and like, oh, that's cool, but it's the impact that you see a certain song have in a room that is like, oh my God. You know, it's like, oh my God, uh, look. Yes. I'm sure you've heard of the name Armand Van Helden, right? Of course. So of I, course. I, I had the opportunity to work with Armand when, you know, when he first started in the business wow. in Boston with the, uh, with Mega Mix before it turned into X Mix. So the original crew was Armand, Lenny Bertoldo, right? Uh, Neil Petricone, Larry Clausen, they still own X Mix. And one thing about Armand, okay. Wait, I did not Armand, know that. That's crazy. So you mean X Mix yeah. like that, the where they would re-drum and do the intros, like, but this was before yeah. digital stuff. It was like Yeah, so so we all so we all started working and uh, so it was it was a record store, Dance Music Plus, yeah, uh, in East Boston. Right. Dance Music Plus was on the first floor, and then on the second floor it was Mass Pool. Which still around today was a record pool, right? And across the hall from Mass Pool, uh, there was a room that was rented and was turned into a recording studio. And oh. that was the that's that was Mega Mix. That was the, the I'm talking probably '89. Wow, '89, maybe '90. And it was so Neil Petricone and Larry Clausen are still the owners of Mega Mix. I, I apologize, X Mix. And Neil still manages um, you know, Armand. I mean, they're still the people behind Armand Van Helden. So the first people that went in there, it was Armand and Lenny Bertoldo. Yeah. And we were all working together. And, you know, nobody knew who Armand Van Helden was. Nobody. It was just to us, he was Armand, the guy that was our friend. You know, we yeah. just hung out. And he started making, you know, records. And before he got popular by doing, uh, you know, Professional Widow and all that stuff, he had a lot of aliases, you know, he had uh, Captains of the Caribbean and uh, ABA and he was doing stuff like that. There was great stuff. But the thing about Armand, Armand would go out and he would listen and he would come back and be inspired by something because it's about if you can translate that energy onto the dance, you know, onto the dance floor, then you're doing your job as a DJ. When right. you get caught up too much in, in you and about you, you've lost it look there's a lot of music that that I, let's say i used to like or i still like but it didn't necessarily work in the club so hey make a mix pop the cd in your car or your tape or you know you could set that back in the day but when you step behind a dj booth it's about you doing your job for the audience that came there to be entertained oh man that's that's so true and like you have so many good points in there um I had a few things I was going to reply to and I kind of like <laughs> lost my train of thought on it, but it was, um, yeah, I mean that that's all, you know, just things that <clears throat> DJs need to like burn into their, 
their memory, you know, um, I should have written down the one thing I was going to reply to, but, but yeah, it's, it'll come back. I'm sure. Yeah. It'll come back at some point, but I mean, that it, it it's, Oh, you know, it was, it was the one thing you mentioned was that people just want to reap the rewards. That's what it was. And that, um, so last week I had, uh, someone named guilty beats on and he's a dope producer and DJ. He's from Ghana. He's really big in the Afro beats world. And, um, He's killing it right now, and and he had like uh, posted something. It was like a Jay Z quote, but it was the same thing. Like people just want to copy the end result, but not put the work in. <clears throat> so they just they see it, and then they're like, "Well, how do I do that?" And then when you tell them, they're like, "No, what do you mean? I can't do all that." You know what I mean? It's like or like when I'll be scratching, people are like, "How do you learn how to do that?" I'm like. Okay, so just go lock yourself in your room for 10 years and just make this movement with your hand, you know, and then you'll understand, yeah. like, I don't have 10 years. And you're like, well, I just literally did that for 10 years, and now I know how to do it. Like, some people don't realize how long it took to get a lot of places and to be in that end result. And they're like, well, give me some advice. And I'm like, <clears throat> times were, were different. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. Times were different back then, you know, when, when I was doing things or – or from what it is now. So it's constantly changing and there was no social media. And um, you've all, in the same way we have to adjust and read the crowd, as DJs we've had to adjust and read the world of trying to get gigs and and how we do it. And like you said, I would hang out at Fat Beats and I'd be like, you need me to help you stock records, you know, or whatever I can do just to get in the mix. And then that got me a gig opening at this cool underground hip hop thing I wanted to do. And you have to put in that work and, um, and just be around to, to be in people's face, you know, and be part of the culture, add something to the culture. Don't just take the more you just keep taking and taking, you're just going to deflate everything. Like everybody has to be there to help pump it up together. And in the same way we talked about you guys doing these nights for Atlantic city, for the industry, everything will deflate if you let it there has to be the people that are building it back up so i think that's so important and um you know all the points you were making like towards that are are very very true um so and and so something else that you touched on too a little bit but i think maybe we could talk about a little bit more is how as djs can we bring value to the club we're being booked at um like does posting the flyer on social media even mean anything to you guys anymore? Is that a should we stay out of the the promotion part of it? Are there other things that DJs can do to bring more value to the club and to the night? Um, or is it better to let the marketing professionals do it and the DJ just do their thing? Like, what's your opinion on that front? You're the marketing guy. I'm the marketing. <laughs> Obviously, we're always going to ask DJs to market and 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 promote the venue. You right. know, it, it, it's always a plus. Uh, I think in both mine and and Manny's opinion, I'm not going to speak for him, but at the end of the day, it's like the best way I can explain it is, and and it's it's huge pet peeve of mine, and it and it's like you know that countdown clock that some of the DJs use in the, in the, in the, in the, in the room right now, you, you know, mean like so the big can, red digital 1980s looking red thing. Clock. And it's like, you've got six. The iPad, the iPad yeah. has 90 that, minutes that, on yeah, it. That, so like, and they put it in their set. Up, so they know, like I'm about to put it cut. in their set. Right. 
and listen, some of them are good and some of them have a huge following and blah, but like, right. it's like when the person in your venue says that you ask them to do something, they look at you and they go, that's not my job. Like that <laughs> DJ wants to be there for literally 90 minutes. Right. And then when that clock hits zero, they want to get off, they want to get out of the booth and they want to leave the room. And for, for me, it's like when I go to work, yeah, I, I want to do an all around good job. I want to do a really good job right. hospitality wise. I want to do a really good job in sales. I want to treat the staff correctly. I want to treat my customers correctly and I want to book correctly. And if I don't do all of those things, I feel like I'm doing a bad job. Yeah. I feel like the DJ should do the same exact thing. Right. Prep your set, market the venue, bring as many people as you can. But your main job is to play the room, not not play the music that you want to hear and that you think is cool or that is good for your brand, but play for the room and the customers that are there. Yeah. You know, so they have the experience that they are paying for. Yeah. You know, not totally. just so you can get paid and go home. Yeah. No, that's the truth. That and that countdown clock thing is pretty interesting. I never really thought about it like that. I mean, I I don't even see it that much. I see it at clubs, like when I see the pictures and stuff sometimes. Um, yeah. But it is an interesting thing, and I, I've never even thought like that. I've known that I have set times, and I've sort of, like, glanced at the time. But, like, even I was in I, – I did Tao Nightclub, uh, I think, a week and a half, two weeks ago. And my set time was supposed to be two hours. And I looked down, I'm like, holy shit, I've been DJing for two hours and 57 minutes. You know, like, I'm almost at three hours right now. Like – and I you were having a blast at work and you, that was the thing I was having time. fun and I had this whole crate I hadn't even dipped into yet. And like, and, and for me as a DJ, I mean, when I first got into DJing, my, one of the main joys of mine and the main focus was finding dope music or remixes or things and playing them for people, you know, like I love to share music and I know that isn't as much of a thing now because everybody can discover it themselves and all that stuff and we are there to entertain them but there's there's a happy medium you can find a balance in there you know where you're entertaining them and you're giving them the music they know as well as in introducing them to new things and and just you know the reason why I'm saying that is just that I don't know. I come from it from a love of DJing and music. And so I'm not really like scrutinizing like second by second. Like, sorry, bro, I'm one minute over. Like, unless you're going to cut me a check for my overtime, like I'm fucking out of here. You know, like that is a weird way to approach things of like, like. And, and I'm not saying that all the DJs that use that clock, you know, like I know that, 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 that there's a functionality to it. But, right. you know, there's some people like I think your main job is. Yeah. Oh, I was saying, I think you're just using it as an example of it almost, right. it can, it, it can convey a feeling of I'm only doing this to get paid or I, I'm, I'm, I'm putting in the time I have to, I have to, that it says on the contract, but I don't really want to be here. Like you said, it's the, this isn't my job. I'm paid just to paint this wall on the left, not the right, you know? And it's like, okay, yeah. come on. Like we're all a team here, especially when we're all in the club. We are a team, like you said, to make this the best night possible, no matter who has to do what. Like when I come to a place, if I got to rewire every fucking thing or every little thing ever, I'm doing it. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care if I'm yeah. just there to provide the music. Like if I need to be the sound man or if I need to do anything, I will do it. If I'm sh doing the confetti cannons and <laughs> whatever I got to do, like, you know, we're all there as a team. So yeah, that's, that, that's a pretty interesting way to look at it. Um, 
But I think it's something that D- as DJs, sometimes they don't know or we don't know like how much to put in or what's expected of us, um, uh, you know, besides doing a great set or something. So I think that's good insight that you that you gave us. Yeah, look, I, I, I think, um, you know, success is hard work. Right. It's not it's yeah. not luck. Yeah. Along the way, you get a little bit of luck. Yeah. And um, to me, it's uh, I always and Zach, Zach will attest to this. When you know, when we when we have pre-shift before we open the club, I always try to remind, um, you know, uh, my teammates yeah. that um, you have to have an owner's mentality. What do I mean by that? Yeah. Uh, is that when you walk through those doors, everything should be your responsibility, not because it's important to the company because yeah. the comp who is the company we are the company right we are we're the ones you know there is no secret entity yeah right it's it, it, like we're the ones that make up the team we're the ones that you know that drive that push this this machine so to me it's 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 in everybody's best interest and when i mean everybody i mean everybody okay um from the guy that signs the check to the side, you know, to the guy that pushes the broom. It's a team effort. And everybody, if everybody has that mentality, we're always going to be unbeatable. The people that come in, like you said, they want to reap the benefits, right? Those like, I've had people that have come through here that will never set foot back here in the booth as long as I'm here, right? Because if you, if you disrespect certain things and if you're, if you disrespect the work that we're doing, right? And, and, uh, Life is is has very simple rules. And I think that from a DJ perspective, if you if you forget why you're in it and now you need an iPad, you need somebody to set up an iPad to remind you that you're DJing for 75 minutes. Do me a favor and just get out. Get out. I get the whole thing. Look, I look at contracts. I look at writers. I look at all this stuff. And some of the stuff makes me want to choke people. Right. Because it's like you have forgotten. I get right. Yeah. You know, guidelines and rules. I need this and certain things. But some I think we've gotten some people have forgotten about why you're doing this. Yes, it's a business. And yes, it's how you make a living. Right. But when you get so ridiculous that you're focusing more on, you know, um, certain things like uh, I need the booth like this. You can't have people in the booth. And. Look, man, I mean, it's like, I'll give you a quick, quick synopsis. I think it was in 1996, 97. Uh, I was so excited to bring Junior Vasquez uh, into Boston because he was somebody that I had never seen DJ. I was playing his records and he was iconic, right? He was like, oh my God, Junior Vasquez, right? Yeah. And I remember getting a 21 page fax of stuff that the opening DJ could not play. Okay, I'd never seen that before, but okay. Then he had a picture of the mixer, right? So they went to, to the trouble of putting a picture of the mixer and where the house master should be at for the opening DJ. And so it was, we're talking about a Yuri mixer, a rotary mixer, because right. we were all playing house music. So everything went, went to that te- detail. And then the kicker was the opening DJ could not play in, in the same booth as where he was going to play from. So... <laughs> Wow. I lost all respect for him, and 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 uh, you know he was somebody that I 
admired and I wanted to to kind of meet because he was somebody that, wow, you know, in my world, this guy was making big records. Right. But, you know, to me as a DJ, it's all about the art form and how you behave yeah. and how you behave and how you treat others. And to me, the fact that we had to do all of that and then we did all of that and I opened up for him from a separate DJ booth, although I had been the resident DJ there um, and it was I don't want to use it was my house, but I was always respectful of what we were building. Of course. And then he came and in Boston, everything closed at two. So he shows up at midnight and he's like chilling. And I'm like, dude, we got a club full of people that came here for you. The point is, oh is that, yeah. you know, if you don't care, if we take the time to book you and we take the time to put together a marketing plan on how to promote you, and then you don't support the efforts that we're trying to do to promote you, then why should I have an interest in your future? This is a team effort. Yeah. You know, so, you know, I mean, if I see people, look, you come in and you, you have a good attitude. I understand that, you know, okay, you live on the, you know, on the West Coast. Look, it's not like we, we booked, uh, you know, we booked you, you live in Philadelphia and maybe you're going to bring 40 people. I'm not going to look at you as, oh, well, how many people did Spider uh, bring today? How many tables did he book? That's not your job. Right. We're hiring you because we want to make sure that you own that DJ booth and then you and then you you take the, the, the dance floor as your palette and now you're going to paint something that's going to translate to people having a good time. If you are pushing your things through social media, of course, we look at that too, because it's like, and I don't expect that just from you. I expect it from every bartender, every server, every bar back, everybody, because that's that's how winning is done. We Everybody has to take an interest in the success of what we're doing, not because we want the club to be, to make money. We, this is what we do. Yeah. This is so if everybody takes an interest, you know, you're not doing it for the club, you're doing it for your future. Right. The more successful yep. we are, guess what? The more we're going to be able to do things like this. And then we will say, hey, Zach, Thursdays were a success. Can we do a Monday? Yeah. We're not going to do that <laughs> unless the people that are involved yeah. take that interest. Right. No, these are like, honestly, such valuable gems, you know, and it's cool for me to hear as because it's funny, I do this podcast and I'm trying to like delve into things that I think the audience and all these other DJs around could could you, you know, utilize this information, but it's cool for me to even talk to you guys and hear these things from my perspective. And, um, you know, because I'm traveling around doing all this stuff and, and want to make sure I'm adding the, the right value to everywhere still. And, um, no, that, that's great. I mean, you know, you, you are very, um, insightful in this, this DJ game and the nightlife game. And I mean, both you guys have done so much and I mean, we've been talking for an hour. I don't want to keep you too long. Um, do you, uh, should we jump off now or you want to keep going? No, we're good. We're just getting warmed up. To where are you going? Okay. You, okay. You go no, I, I didn't know, you know, I know you guys are busy people. Don't know if you got meetings or something, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I already have... threw mine off. So it's for us. It's all right. It's... Okay. All right. So, so, um, yeah. All right. Well then let me know if you got to go, but yeah, I mean, I have a lot of other stuff that we could delve into that I think that could be cool. Cause you know, we've do it. kind of talked about things between both of you, but we haven't gone into, um, that much of your individual stories. Um, mm -hmm. 
And so, um, Zach, maybe I could start with you uh, with a couple things um, that sure. you know I noticed from the outside. And then you could you could expand on it. Um, but you know, off the bat, you seem like a super motivated dude in like every way. You know, from work to your life. Like, I mean, just looking through your social media, which I know is probably just a fraction of your life. You're like doing a ton of things. Um, so let's talk about your introduction into nightlife. Like you said, you were working at, um, DJ AM had a club in Atlantic city called dusk and, uh, you were there. That was a good, you know, what, 12 years ago when he opened that or more 2009, 2009, 2009. actually the last show that he ever played was on Tuesday, August 26th at dusk on a Tuesday. Yeah. And then he took, yeah. He took his limo right back to New York and then, you know, August 28th, 2009. Yeah, um, that was it. You're um, right. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, his last show, I was in the booth with him uh, just staring like I always used to do. But, I, you know, like right before that, um, I, I I worked for – I got out of college and I, I sold uh, advertising and marketing space for a newspaper magazine. Oh, and okay. I worked – I worked for an entertainment company on the weekend, DJing and, and emceeing bar mitzvahs and weddings. Wow. And uh, yeah, um, I had an old colleague of mine uh, who had uh, booked out the real world house in Philadelphia and had his DJ canceled the night before New Year's Eve and was like, yo, um, can you step in for me? Uh, you know, like, can you help me out? And I was like, sure. Came up to me at the end of the party. Um, and and was like yo did you know that you brought like a hundred people to this party and i was like yeah cool what's up and he was like you know you could get paid for that and i was like what <laughs> what? Huh? what and he was like yeah man you, you can get paid for that he's like i i, I manage a couple venues in philadelphia he's like i'll give you five dollars a head uh for every person you bring i'll give you percentage of any table you sell i'll give you free alcohol and girls and i was like Sold. You're like Let's light bulb. <laughs> Boom. I was like, all right, alcohol, girls, uh, money, awesome. It sounds great. Oh my god, amazing. I did, I did so. Like, I did that in Philly uh, on the weekends right. for a year, and, and like we uh, spoke about before, Philadelphia shuts down Memorial Day weekend, and the whole entire city <laughs> drives right down the shore. So, and you're and you're um, from Philly, correct? I'm from Philly. I moved down here in 2009. Uh, right. And, and so, for people that are from out of town, Philly is very close to New York, but also to New Jersey, like in Atlantic City. It's right. like not yeah, far at all. Yeah, 52 miles. And, right. uh, I, I, I left my my day job and after a year of it, and I was a promoter. I did nine months in Philly and then three months in Atlantic City. It's actually where I met Manny. Manny was managing at the pool, and the pool was one of our venues. Oh, wow. Um, and I was, like, loving life and and kind of, like, having, like, a DJ. Like, so, like, I was working six nights a week where I was getting a, a, a flat rate every single night to show up and drink. And then I was getting percentages of, of my sales, and I was crushing it, loving life. That sounds uh, tough, and man. That sounds hard. Yeah, it was Hard. crazy. Um, it came to the point where uh, the company that I was working for wanted to stay at the pool 
And I thought that my customer base didn't want to be at the pool any longer. And um, dusk was opening up and they gave me an opportunity. Uh, and I didn't know much more about the, the industry and the business other than selling and marketing. Right. Uh, so I took a VIP management job with dusk because of DJ AM. Yeah. You know, I used to go to Rumor and mix and watch him and you and vice. And I would just stand behind the booth and be like, yo, these guys are freaking awesome. Like, and I was like, I think this is like, kind of like what I want to do. So I jumped into management, uh, in 2009, a year after that, I was like, what the hell did I do? Because I went from that flat rate percentage, having fun, right. drinking, talking girls to wearing a suit and going to casino meetings and being like, what the F is going on? You know? So <laughs> after a year of that, I was like, you know what? I can do this on my own. And I went back to Philly and you know, that's where I kind of like, I hit a wall and like way too much partying and not enough structure. And it was like, yo, I need to get out of, out of my own head and like I need I need to go back to where there's structure. Yeah. So I ended up getting an opportunity with Angel Management Group in 2013 um, with uh, uh, Alex, which is now Hakkasan Group. Right. Um, at HQ, the first time it opened up. Yeah. So I, you know, this is what the the third run. Yeah. This is the third run for HQ. So I was. Wow. Uh, I, I made my trek back to Atlantic City from 2013 and 2000 to 2014. In 2014, Revel, although the success of HQ, uh, this is when like the EDM bubble on the East Coast was just starting, and we opened up the first ever Vegas-style day club on the East Coast, and it was like insane. No one had ever heard of what a host was, and like. Angel Management Group brought Vegas to the East Coast and people were like insane. Right. It was awesome. Yeah. Second best job I've ever had compared to this one. This is the first. Uh, and <laughs> that was a good save. That was right? really good. Really good. So in 2013, <laughs> uh, although the success of the club was, was, was like, I think we were one of the highest grossing nightclubs on the East Coast. Right. The, the casino was doing horribly and the casino went bankrupt. Right. I remember. Hakkasan group, yeah. Hakkasan group ended up keeping me and I think five or six other employees on salary for about a year while they tried to get the nightclub open. They tried to do so many different things of using the fire escape to, as an entrance, just oh to get God. the club up and going. Wow. And, and finally in February of 2015, um, they, they called it quits and they were like, Hey, it's not coming back. And they laid the, the six of uh, the remaining staff members off. It's when I, uh, I made a jump, uh, to live nation. I opened up the Fillmore in Philadelphia oh. and that's kind of where I started learning more of the talent buying side of things. Uh, cause I was super interested in it yeah. and I had some really, really, really awesome bosses that didn't know much of the EDM side. And they would ask me, you know, like what shows would work and what wouldn't. Right. I wasn't actually talent bonding, but I, I got to give my input. Yeah. Uh, Live Nation was awesome. Um, I ended up taking an opportunity back in Atlantic City where I was talent buying. And that's really where 
I got my ass handed to me. Um, yeah. You know, where like I was getting hit with overpriced DJs and I was competing against casino money. And it's like one of those really, really, really tough things where you think that your career is going to end. But um, like made me understand the side of talent buying that much more to where um, uh, I, I went back to Philly and, and, and opened up uh, a club called Noto in Philadelphia. And I was doing the open format buying for them. Right. And I understand, understood the business a little bit better. Uh, and I really got into it. Um, and But then I, I ran into the same problems that I had back in Philadelphia the first time where I was getting a little out of control with the partying and and that th those, those demons came out. And I ended up back in Atlantic City. Um, right. I ended up stop, uh, ended up cutting out all the alcohol from my life. Oh, okay. Uh, in 2017. And I was lucky enough to uh, be one of the people that um, started the Dare brand in Atlantic City in 2018 yeah. uh, over at Hard Rock. Uh, awesome experience. I was at Hard Rock Atlantic City for a year. Um, and then I traveled down to South Florida to the Guitar Hotel and was uh, able to be a part of the team that opened up Dare Day Club, Dare Night Club, and the rooftop bar there. Yeah. Um, and, and Florida was amazing. And then, you know, March 2020 hit and, you know, I walked into my boss's office and I was like, hey, I'm taking a one way flight back to uh, Atlantic City. Call me when you're ready to come back. You know what that whole two week thing. Yeah. And I, uh, I remember those two weeks, <laughs> the two, the two longest weeks of my entire life. It's still uh, going. Up, <laughs> yeah, it's still going. They ended up laying off the entire department and changing the business model in July. Um, wow. And I didn't get the opportunity to go back down to Florida. Uh, and it's funny, uh, during the pandemic, um, uh, I, I stayed as close as I possibly could to everyone in the industry because no one knew what was going to happen when it was over. Yeah. Nobody knew if you were going to go back to your job or if you're going to have to go find another one. Right. Um, started this... Uh, you know, just to get exposure of the um, the nightlife industry and people that were struggling, DJs, you know, managers of casinos and nightclubs and bars and all that. Um, we 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 piggybacked on a a uh, campaign that the big night entertainment guys did in Boston to to gain awareness, and we did a run uh, on New Year's Eve, and the idea behind it was you know, run a mile. And, and it was also based off of Vice's one uh, mile a day challenge, right? You know, run a mile in, in, in the industry to, to you know, gain awareness of all these people who don't know where they're going to go or what they're going to do with their lives because the nightlife bars, hospitality is a complete mess. Yeah. Uh, I ended up, you know, running into Manny on the boardwalk for that run. And, uh, you know, we started talking about the future of Atlantic city and at that point, I don't think he had talked to the casino much at all. And, you know, he asked about Dare and I asked about HQ and, and, and we didn't really know what was going to happen. Um, he ended up getting the position uh, back at, at Ocean and started ramping up. And he and I kept in contact. And, you know, they, I was late to the game. Uh, you know, I was still trying to get back to Florida and 
they opened up and, you know, back to what we were talking about before, you know, I, I got off my ass and got out of the house and just yeah. kept on showing up to the club, right. you know, and, you know, I showed up with my customers and, you know, Manny and I were negotiating and talking and, you know, I was lucky enough to be given the opportunity. I, and I came back in and, and it's been a, a blessing, uh, you know, in disguise. And I couldn't be happier to be a part of it as of right now, you know? Yeah. Oh my God. What a story that, that that's incredible. Honestly, all the twists and turns. And it's so cool to hear from the DJ, from my perspective and stuff to hear just sort of your challenges with talent buying and the, all the stuff that goes into that, because I think DJs and people on the other side take that for granted, all the stuff that you guys have to go through and learn and deal with and the competition between uh, people that own their own business privately versus a casino and versus all of those different things. It's probably insane to deal with. I saw it in Vegas. I mean, we saw Vegas go from, oh, they pay a little bit to a lot to ex to insane to nobody in the world could compete and people are getting $60 million deals and things are just blown out of proportion and nothing can ever, you know, compete. So, I, I mean, I'm sure you probably deal with so much uh, on that front, you know. And uh, wow, that's so cool. Yeah, though. it's weird too because Atlantic City in 2018, you know, Manny and I were competitors at one point, and right. at, at one point in Atlantic City, there there were six or seven nightclubs open trying to book talent and strategize on how to make it work. Yeah. And it, it became into a bidding war where some of the businesses went out of business because they're trying to outbid someone right. for a name. Crazy. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. Oh, my God. And now look at you guys. You're like the biggest uh, name in town, <laughs> doing the biggest shows and everything. So um, that's incredible. I love to hear that. And the, it's so cool how you guys linked back up like that at the run for to support the clubs it really all comes full circle to exactly everything we've talked about this whole hour more than an hour is supporting being a part of the culture supporting the culture actually being genuinely there for the right reasons and also being on good terms with everyone and being a good person not being a jerk when you're competitors you're not being an asshole when you think somebody can't help you or isn't important to you at that moment and then later you're like oh uh, remember me i'm gonna be nice to you now it's like you know we all have people like that in our life that were complete dicks to us and now they're like hey what's <laughs> up and you're like you were a fucking asshole you know what i mean I'm, and i remember that yeah. shit um so yeah that's that's so cool and i saw that that you were doing the i saw you posted on your instagram story you're on like mile 543 or something is that right yeah man. dude one of my last shows in in Jesus. south florida was was with vice and I, I think he looked at me he was like yo man you look a little heavy and i was like yo dude the stress is insane and I was like 30 pounds overweight, unhappy, <laughs> stressed out of my mind. He was like, you should start running. And when the pandemic hit, I had nothing else to do. So He's like, know? we're drunk. It's 4 a.m. Let's go on a mile run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I would throw up. I don't know if I could do it, but <laughs> I got I to gotta start bringing that into my life. Uh, I'm not as healthy as Vice yet. Uh, <laughs> 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 or you, it sounds like. Um, <laughs> So, and are you, are you still sober? Is that still part of your, your thing? Or yeah. You... Uh, June 17th, 2017 is my date. Wow. Um, Congrats. no, uh, it's been great. It's been yeah. awesome. And, and it's also like one of those things, like when, when they told me I wasn't allowed to drink anymore, 
um, I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? Like, I'm a professional drinker. Like, <laughs> like my thing, I think that's what all DJs at, say as well. I've had this conversation. Like, I talked to Vice like about it. Thing, you know, yeah. When I was at HQ the, in 2013, 2015, I, I manage a sales team of, of 26 hosts and there's 65 tables at, at the day club. So like I would touch every table and see every customer and right. do a shot. And then right, like, that's what I was cool, going to say. Go, you got 65 shots like, being handed to you at least. Yeah, 65 shots. And then I go to the nightclub. There's 35 tables there. I was like, oh, I got to touch every table and do a shot and just, just holy shit, you know, spiraled. And, and but life's much better without it now, you know? Yeah. Once you break through that wall, you know, like. Um, I know I was talking to Vice about it. Like, he's like, I don't know how I'm going to DJ sober, you know? And then he's like, I've been having some of the best sets of my life, you know? And I think you yeah. just, um, I mean, I had a uh, Richard vision on this show, you know, and he's a legend like, and he's like, I am completely 100% sober every single time I DJ, you know, and the way he broke it down to me, it was just like, wow, that is inspirational. He takes it so seriously. You know, it's exactly what we were saying. It's the most professional. He's putting his heart and soul into it. He's like, I don't want to get fucked up, you know, before this. Um, so, but there is that feeling of alcohol. Yeah. You know who else was like that when I booked him? DJ Cassidy. Oh, interesting. He was, uh, he was a perfectionist and like completely sober the whole entire time. And like, he knew exactly what he wanted, how he wanted it. And like, was like, my set's going to be like this. And he was, he was amazing, man. It it was kind of awesome to watch. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, a lot of DJs sort of DJs and people in our industry as a whole kind of have alcohol as a, I mean, it's hard. It becomes a crutch or something that you feel like you need. It's like our security blanket or something, or you, you feel like you won't, might not be successful without it, but you can, you know, I've had some, I've had amazing nights drinking and not you know but for the most part i think when you look back the nights where i did get super drunk and then i was like look back at my history or if i listen back i'm like okay maybe that wasn't as good as like <laughs> normal i think there's a fine line people can drink and do their thing but but yeah i i feel um if it's a problem you know some of my friends who have like a big problem with it i'm like it's not worth it man just cut that out like you will be happier you'll yeah. be more successful i feel like you will realize that there's no limit to what you can do and you're holding yourself back with the things that you think you need or something. Right. 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 That's that's cool. Um, and and also you have other companies you own as well, right? Like, uh, double down entertainment and a club and stuff like that. Yeah. So, and that's kind of like how I got linked with beat source. Um, and Edwin, uh, when the pandemic happened and, and everyone was home and nobody knew what to do. Right. Um, I have like the local DJs out of Philadelphia and New Jersey and New York. And we were like, all right, we're bored. What do we do? You know? And my one, my my one buddy, Jason was like, dude, let's, let's start putting a mix out every single day. So in the month of April, 2020, we, we, you know, I, I, designed some marketing and we called it the shut-in sessions because everyone was stuck at home. Right. So every single day in the month of April, we put out a different mix, like a, a feel-good mix because everyone was just like, what the hell's going on? Yeah. And we did it for 30 days and then Edwin hit us up and was like, yo, why don't you guys have a show on Pipple's Globalization and Sirius XM? And we were like, huh? Like, like, <laughs> 
the actual radio and he was like yeah you're like other public and people can hear this in their yeah car? i was like what and he's That's like a- yeah channel 13 Dope. and we were like uh no idea what goes into that but he's like dude it's just like what you guys are doing right now we're like all right awesome um and that's been uh uh, every friday at 11 a.m uh eastern standard time on channel 13 since uh june of 2020 that's so dope i actually didn't i thought you were doing it before the pandemic i didn't realize you linked up with him and got the show during the pandemic like that so, so we met before that and, and started their relationship, but we didn't actually work together like on, on a lot of things until he was like, yo, let's do this. Him right. and Kevin uh, um, and oh, we were okay. like, yeah. and, and, so and, cool. and Edwin actually, Edwin came out to Atlantic city and met with Manny and, right. and, and enjoyed the club over the summer and was like super awesome to us. So it's been a great relationship. Yeah, he told me. He said that you and Manny, you know, he's uh, Manny. He said he talked to you for a long time. He was telling me you had some incredible stories and he had so much fun uh, hanging at the club and with all you guys. So I only heard the greatest things. And that's so cool to hear. It just really shows there, you know, the some silver lining stuff from the pandemic and also just putting in work for putting in work's sake will pay off. What you put in, you will get back. You don't always know how much or, or how, but doing a mix just for doing a mix sake and being a DJ led to that, which is so dope. And now you have an official yeah. show every week that like I can jump in my car and tune in and, you know, put on and, and globalization radio itself, I feel like has grown so much over the past year um, as a station. So to see you guys grow with yeah, it is cool. And, and also it, it gives us access because I think Edwin has the same mindset as all of us, you yeah. know, like, and kind of like the concept that goes into, you know, sicker than your average Thursdays. It's that it's that thousand yeah. to five thousand dollar open format DJ from all across the country yeah. that can play that feel good music that might not get a shot in Atlantic City because we're in Atlantic City and we don't know about them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's so true. Yeah, no, I mean and and he Obviously, that's what they've done for the past. I mean, we're in their sweatshirt, you know, DJ City since to the year 2000. Like, yeah. they've been building the DJ culture and creating this global thing that's just incredible. I mean, I'm on this, like, WhatsApp chat that literally has DJs, hundreds and hundreds of them from across the globe. I could be like, who's in Colombia? Who? Okay, I'm coming to Tokyo. I'm, yeah. in Os- I'm here. I'm here there. And we have this network now of just people all over if we need help or, you know, whatever. If I need to know that new Afrobeats songs or, you know, like I said, I'm interviewing people in literally in Africa last week, which is just blows my mind. You know, it's just like crazy how connected the world is getting in the, in the DJ world and and how, how important it is for us to keep building the culture and, and and being a part of it. So um, I think, you know, and you guys are doing it with your company, with your promotion company and with the show and, and all that stuff. So that is so dope, man. I love to hear that. Um, Oh yeah. So, um, and so Manny, um, I know you have done a lot. I know you've done a lot in the nightlife world over the years. Like you said, you're 30 years deep and um, I would love to know, some of your background, like coming up in Boston and then making it out to, to uh, Atlantic City. Um, can you fill us in kind of like how you got your start? And then I have a few 
uh, things I noticed on your Instagram that I think could be good stories that you could tell us. I, I know you probably have a lot of them, but uh, yeah, how'd you get your cool. start in Boston and stuff? Could you repeat the question, Your Honor? <laughs> <laughs> Where, uh, like, um, how, yeah, you know, how, how'd you get your start in Boston and just as a DJ and getting into music and and how did that all begin for you and your influences and stuff? So, you know, uh, uh, I was actually born in Spain. And I came oh, wow. to the U.S. when I was 12. Okay. And my dad had always wanted to be a musician. Um, he loved jazz and, and um, you know, uh, unfortunately, you know, he was born during the Spanish Civil War in the 30s and, uh, you know, really tough time. So uh, the means just weren't there. But he had always right. wanted to be a musician. And um, anyway, so... I, I think with like within a few months of me coming to America, my dad bought me a saxophone and I love music myself. And uh, the, the thing with me is that I was just not, I've never been a, a bookworm. I, I always learn by watching. Right. Right. So uh, I, I couldn't speak English and he's sending me to music classes. <laughs> right. And I'm like, honestly, dude, I think I did jingle bells for nine months. I got so sick of it. I just like, I, but I could actually pick up the saxophone, listen to a song. And within a few minutes, I could, I could play it. I would figure it out and I could play back the, uh, uh, you know, whatever melody. So, um, so then I, I, uh, you know, I go to high school and I'm just intrigued by the drums. So I go out, I, I buy a $300 used drum set and I'm set it up in the basement and I'm beating around, driving my parents nuts. And then, as I mentioned earlier, I go to my first teen dance and I had no idea what a DJ was, nothing. I go and I'm just, I'm in this thing and there's a guy playing records. So I was just made my way to where this was coming from and that's it. I was just literally, I, for five hours, I just watched this person mix records and then any opportunity i had i would go to 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 just you know uh these teen dances and um college parties and whatnot but i was just so mesmerized that you know that you could have that much power as one person yeah. they, you know as opposed to a band uh so that was my introduction to so i i go out i i buy a set of turntables and a mixer and I literally, what you said earlier, I just set it up in my basement and I was there for about nine months. I had gotten, um, I had gotten a tape from a DJ that was very prominent in Boston at the time. And he had made a, uh, it was the mass pool one year anniversary event. Right. Wow. And, uh, um, he, he made a, he made a mix. It was all freestyle. Right. Oh. And I, I, I get this tape. I walk into dance music plus. Uh, which was the record store in, in my neighborhood. And I, I give the tape to Jerry Warren, who was the owner. I said, Jerry, I want every record on this tape. Spent $136, true story, $136 on vinyl, right? Yeah. On getting all these records. Of course. And for literally nine months, I tried to duplicate, not knowing how to mix, how, what went into mixing. And I was trying really, really, really hard. But I didn't know the concept of mixing. Right. So anyway, um, fast forward, I meet another DJ who gives me a tape from WBBM B96 in Chicago. Okay. And it's on one side is Bad Boy Bill, 
And on the other side is Julian Jump and Perez mixing live, all, like from remote from a club, but being broadcast live on B96 in Chicago. Oh, wow. Now, that music, that music now I was familiar with, and especially from Bad Boy Bill. Bad Boy Bill, in my opinion, is probably one of the, the best technical, ballsy DJs ever because this guy, like where most DJs would like do like that, like a smooth mix, Bill would grab like from the first beat of a song, he would just drop it, but he would write it. So I'm like, oh shit, that's how mixing is done. Cause I had no idea what, what beat mixing was. Right. When that, when I heard that mix, you know, I'm like, okay, now I knew what I had to, what I had to do. So I started practicing and practicing and practicing and about, a year into it, I go to the smallest bar that I could find in Boston, Faneuil Hall. I go to this bar and I asked to speak to a manager. I said, look, I'm a new DJ. I'm just starting out. If you have an off night that maybe you're looking, you know, to, to, to try something new, uh, you know, I, I would appreciate it. Anyway, a few weeks go by. I get the call. I get a Thursday night, which was a college night. Yeah. And it wasn't very busy, but... I was playing music. I had, you know, I was getting all my records from the record store. I was part of, uh, you know, part of a record pool, and uh, that's back when like remix services started becoming um, popular. So you had Mega Mix. You had was it Mix It? Mix It that was around for like ever. Like they had like orange, uh, you know, record. I mean, it, you know, it was all vinyl at the I, time. Anyway, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I remember AVA X Mix Mix It. Uh, well, yeah. direct music service had their vinyl version of stuff too back then. Yeah. So make a long story short, the guy that gave me the job was Neil Petricone. Neil Petricone was one of the owners that is oh. still, again, he, him and Larry Clausen yeah. were looking to start this remix service. Right. At the time, it wasn't, it wasn't a reality yet, but they started Megamix, then turned into X-Mix, years later right right so he tells me i like you i'm doing this thing it's right around the corner from where you live you know would you want to come and help us do this i'm like sure so we were setting up the office because we were basically calling people uh you know calling djs calling record stores hey we're a remix service and you want to carry our product anyway that's where i met you know the original team that's where armand van helden came in lenny bertoldo lenny b I was working with another guy, uh, you know, Abdullah, who, you know, recently passed away. But that was the original crew. And then I, you know, I was very loyal to, you know, to Neil. Yeah. And Neil later said to me, you know why I hired you? Uh, you know, gave me the opportunity to DJ? I said, right. no. He <laughs> said, because you were the only guy that came in that didn't tell me how good of a DJ he was. You came in and you said, I just need an opportunity. You were humble. That's why I gave you the opportunity, and that's why I want you to be a part of this. So it was great. I mean, we're still friends to this day, but that's where things started for me, where now I was around culture. I was around guys in the studio. I was around, like, you know, Gary Canavo, uh, who was the, you know, one of the owners of Mass Pool, who was the man at the moment as far as DJs. Yeah. Um, so I was around these guys, Neil Petricone. Who were doing you know they had mix shows on the radio um and you know uh, that's where i really like dove into the culture i learned really how to mix from guys that were really good mixers 
And, um, you know, once in a while, they would let me do like a mix show on a reel. So I would have to, I have to, you know, record it on a reel to reel. And then we would drive it to like Kiss 108 in Boston because they were playing it that weekend. So like literally pull up into the station, here's the mix show. And then, you know, they would play it. Right. Um, then I moved to Spain. I moved to Spain in like 91, I believe. And I spent like nine months DJing there. Oh, and um, it was very different because I was DJing for like 12 to 14 hours. You know, oh, so you Jesus. have to play everything. You work, yeah, yeah. just a quick yeah, you fourteen call, hour set. <laughs> yeah, but there you had to play everything. It wasn't just playing house for fourteen hours. You were playing, you know, you were playing American music. So, I mean, you know, classic like you know, funk, soul, R and B. Then you would do like German techno, right? Like like all that stuff that it wasn't German techno, but it was a lot of stuff that was coming out of Germany that was upbeat, like one hundred and thirty to one hundred and forty BPM. And then you would do like what they call national music, meaning like top 40, their version of top 40, whatever was popular in the radio for the country. Yeah. So it was great for me from a programming perspective because I had to learn how to everything. do everything oh, for everybody. Yeah. Because let's say at midnight, you have one set of people. At three in the morning, you have another set of people. At six in the morning, you have another demographic. And it was very insightful for me. I come back to the US. And I came back to visit. I came back. I was going to visit my friends. I bring a tape of my last set. I give it to a friend of mine who was a DJ in Boston. And he calls me like, dude, this stuff is great. Where are you getting this music from? And, you know, I said, well, it's stuff that I play, you know, overseas. He gives that tape to a guy that ends up owning a nightclub in Boston. I'm like two days from leaving back to Spain. I get a call from this guy. I said, I'm opening up a nightclub and, you know, I need you as the DJ. <laughs> so, I mean, I was like, yeah, I was like 21 years old. I, I didn't have a care in the world. I called mom and dad. I said, mom, sell my car. I'm staying. And I stayed. <laughs> I stayed in the U.S. Awesome. Yeah. It's you talk about destiny. I stayed in yep. the U.S. And, um, you know, I, Boston, I don't know if you're familiar with Boston, but Boston, because of all the colleges and universities, it attracts a lot of uh, people from all over the world, from, from Europe, from, from the Middle East, from South America, from everywhere. Right. And the music that I was playing, you know, I, I so this guy, they opened up this club uh, called Europa, okay. which is now Bijou. Oh, Still okay. there. Wow. Yeah. Definitely. So. And I'm, I'm, I started DJing there, but I was DJing to a lot of, um, like, in other words, my music was resonating with that demographic because I was playing stuff that these kids that were going to Ibiza and Saint-Tropez and Mykonos are now listening to that sound in the U.S. Yeah. So that started there. And so that um, I was the resident DJ there on uh, Wednesdays and Saturdays and the same owner owned the Roxy in Boston, which is Royale. It's one of the biggest rooms in Boston. So I had a residency on Friday called the Cat Club um, uh, inside the Roxy, and it was 2,000 people on a Friday. So my career started taking off as a DJ there. Then uh, the the comp you know, the, the, the competing club yeah. was Avalon. So Avalon, okay. iconic nightclub in in Boston, it was on Lansdowne Street, and there was the, the whole street was um, uh, it was nightclubs, lounges, and bars. 
pretty much all owned by the Lions Group. So, you know, they came after me. They offered me uh, uh, to, you know, to move there and go to Avalon. And Avalon was like the room that as a DJ you wanted to be in because it was just the room, you know. Yeah. Um, pretty much same capacity, you know, same capacity as um, um, as the Roxy, but just the sound in that room and just the, the, the lighting. It was just incredible. So I went there and I, I had a residency there for about eight years. And uh, we started uh, we started uh, booking, you know, people like Paul Oakenfold, Sasha, Digweed, Carl Cox, um, you know, uh, you name it, Dave Morales. I remember when we booked Dave Morales, he came up and we had we still had, uh, um, you know, like an old analog sound system. Um, and uh, he, he was just blown away. He was blown away by that room. So. But I really got into, I dove headfirst into this. Besides DJing, um, yeah. I opened up a record store. I opened up a recording studio, a DJ school. So this is what I did. This is what I did 24-7. I wanted to uh, to teach anybody that wanted to learn how to DJ, especially like the, you know, like the younger, younger generation. I put together, you know, a curriculum. It wasn't just, oh, DJ school. I, I, I brought... In my opinion, uh, you know, some of the best DJs in Boston that really that are still DJing, that guys that, that know the craft and the industry and, and have a passion for it to inspire others. And not just, you know, uh, not just like, hey, you know, give me a couple hundred bucks and I'll teach you to DJ. It was, it was it was really something that I'm still very proud of to this day. So I had a recording studio and a DJ school in the same building. And in another building, I had a record store and I would DJ, you know, three, four nights a week um, until in 2004, I moved down to the Syria. Uh, I was um, I was married. I got married and then we had, a, you know, we had our first child and all my family lived overseas. And, um, you know, we wanted to raise our children around other siblings. And I didn't have that in Boston. Yeah. Uh, so we came down here. I opened up a place in Old City, Philadelphia. Um, and because of my relationships and friendships that I had with some of the guys that I had booked over the years, I started bringing some of those guys to, uh, to Philadelphia. And it was a very small place. It was a lounge, you know, but I had a great sound system and it was small enough that you, that it felt intimate, but big enough that you could have a good party. So I started bringing a lot of those people. And then in 2008, uh, uh, Atlantic city came calling and, um, I had a relationship with one of the, uh, um, one of the VPs that was running a property down here and, and um, came down here next door to a showboat where they had, uh, they had the house of blues foundation room and um, uh, a nightclub called worship. And I was started doing that. And then within nine months, they sent me to the pool at Harris, which was a sister property, right. massive structure. I don't know if you've been there, but it would, I think they spent $20 million building an amenity, not a nightclub. Oh my God. Nightlife was was the the you know the mistake that happened that that changed the pool because right. it was never built as a nightclub. It's a it's a ninety foot glass dome. It's a bubble. It's all glass, and it has a pool. You know, palm trees, hot tubs, and then a nightclub would happen there. We would set up a stage, sound system, lighting, and uh, Wednesday, Friday, Saturdays, nightlife, and it just it just took, took off. off. 
Oh yeah. Uh, so I did that. I did my tour of duty there for four years. Funny uh, story. I was a promoter, and I think it was Victor Calderon. And Manny looked at me at the door and was like, "You guys can't come in. We're at fire, we're at fire marshal says we're at capacity. We're like, we work here. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> I was I like, what do you mean I can't come in? I remember when I think we did Mike Posner. Yeah. We we booked Mike Posner on a Wednesday. I love he, that guy. he was a huge fan and. Um, I uh, went right up and we hung out yeah. and all that stuff. But, oh, but yeah, so man, cool. I mean, from there, um, I did some things in Philadelphia, but then, uh, in 2018, <clears throat> this opportunity presented itself. And, um, you know, I was, I always love when people say you can't do that or you can't do this. I'm always up for that challenge. I love proving people wrong. Yeah. Not, not in a cocky way. I just, to me, you know, the challenge, the challenge is always something that, that I'm up for. And, yeah. um, you know, we, we faced, like Zach said, there was at the time we came on, there was a lot of, you know, although Ocean is a beautiful property, it's it's one property, right, that's owned by a group of people. It's not like an MGM, not like a Caesars or a Hard Rock where yeah, they have that worldwide you know, network in Las Vegas yeah. and all that. Right. Right. So for us, um, it was a lot of hard work. And, and I always say, you know, that, that um, you know, um, I think that ultimately it comes down to what are you willing to do to be successful? How hard are you willing to work? And as long as you're the hardest working guy in the room or the hardest working team, you're going to be unbeatable. You're not going to win every game, but you're going to have more wins than losses. So, you know, I'm fortunate, you know, I made the transition from, from being, um, you know, from, from passing out flyers for an event to getting an opportunity to be behind a DJ booth to learning that to then stepping away from the DJ booth as my main gig. And I learned, I knew what it was like to, you know, to program music and to book talent, but I wanted to learn the back of the house, the, you know, uh, how to be an operator. And I think that I don't like using the word success, but I think that if I could use it, that part of, I think what's made me, uh, experience whatever success I have um, is that I, you know, I understand the business from a lot of different angles, right? I can have a conversation with you about uh, DJing. We can have a conversation about marketing and how to market a show, how to book talent. I can also have a conversation with a street level promoter and I can go into a boardroom and talk to a CEO and know how to speak their language. So, yeah. um, you know, this is something that I, 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 I'm really passionate about. I love it. Um, and, uh, you know, very fortunate to to have an opportunity to continue to do it. And uh, very fortunate to have an opportunity to do it with people like Zach and, 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 and other peers. I mean, there's no ego here. This is I'm willing to I'm learning every day and there's always something new to learn. And uh, again, just just happy to be uh, around people that, uh, that push me to be better. Yo, that, that's that's incredible. Um, that's honestly inspirational story in so many ways. And even just the end part, how, you know, you're very humble with everything that you've done. And I think that um, just the way you speak about it and you're and you're like you said, you're able to talk to the street level promoters, uh, to the DJs, to the CEOs of the casino and, and all that stuff in the same. You, you know how to sort of switch gears and, and do it. And you're constantly learning. And I think, you know, in the same way that you guys are talking about dealing with DJs with bad attitudes, it's hard dealing with 
people that are in positions of power that have bad attitudes too. So it's really cool to hear you on tell both that. sides, man. Definitely yeah, on both sides. Exactly. I hate it. I hate people. I I hate people that have that that sort of mentality. You know, you never forget where you come from. Never forget yeah. your roots. One thing I always used to say: be nice to everybody on your way up because you're going to meet them all on the way down. Oh, I tell Don't everybody that. Dick. It's Don't so be true. A dick. Be a good person, and and you know, to me, I always realize that you know, I knew what it was like to be on the outside of the DJ booth looking at the at the, at the DJ like, oh my god, and then you meet that person, and if they're, it was always disappointing if that person. It doesn't have to be a DJ; it could be someone like Zach who yeah. who maybe. You know he he's right. running uh you know he's running uh you know the marketing and he's running uh you know a team of hosts and there could be someone that wants to be just like zach imagine if somebody speaks to you and you're and you're an asshole to them right you know that's so it's always about inspiring others to be at their best and and people like that you don't forget i mean he's mentioned people in his past i mentioned people in his past you know in uh in my past yeah and those are people that had an influence in your success it's true. And you're really going to remember how someone made you feel even sometimes more than what they said or, or even the details yeah. of your interaction. You're just going to remember like yeah. that felt like shit or not, or like they were cool or not, you know, it's <laughs> the kind of thing. Yeah. Like it's, yeah. it sticks with you, you know, over time. Um, yeah, that's, that's so true. And I say the same thing, you know, be nice to everybody on your way up. Cause you're going to be coming down at some point. You never know. So, yeah, and also just we're all just human beings here trying to live and make our way and do the right thing. And, like, it doesn't need to be too hard and too filled with egos. And that's how I've approached. Sometimes people come to me and they're like, yo, I want to ask you something or this and that. And then they're surprised if, like, I'm nice to them or I take time to, like, sit and talk to them. I'm like, I know exactly how you feel. I I am you. I was you. Like, we're the same. I'm not... You know, like yeah. I'm here, like, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be talking to you just like you're happy to be talking to me. And they're like, oh, well, I thought you're going to be a jerk or, you know, I mean, no one thought I don't think they think I'm going to be a jerk. But you know what I mean? It's like they're surprised if you have can, yeah, yeah, take yeah. the time or actually give them some real feedback or look into their eyes and talk to them like a normal person rather than like, yeah, whatever, bro. OK, peace. You know, I'm busy. Like, you don't understand my life. <laughs> well, Zach treats me all the time. All the time. Yeah. <laughs> That's how Zach treated me for you know the first couple times but then (laughs) um yeah no oh man these are just you know so many gems they like i said that we can write a dj bible from this interview and have all of these uh sayings uh you know in there for people to learn from um because the truth and the same thing with just even getting into djing same with me like early 90s i didn't know what the hell these people were doing i knew i loved you know, scratching and the sound on hip hop records. And I love dance music. And I love that thing right here, the things coming in step by step. And I knew a DJ was doing it, but I, I thought they were making it, you know? And then when I finally started going to these raves and I would go to insomniac in LA before it became like a big thing, like in the early nineties and same, I could sneak up and finally look over and go, Oh, there's turntables. Oh, they're doing them at the same time. There's something in the middle, you know, and, and there was no internet. There was no videos. I didn't have any friends that were into it. I had to do the same thing. Just get the equipment, get a couple records as much as I could afford, you know, cause it was 10, 15 bucks a record, you know, and we don't have very much money yeah. back then. And then you just sit there with them and just experiment, 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 you know, until you finally hit that one sound and then try to get back there and, same kind of thing, you know, and that just gives you 
this appreciation for it. Even this, I met a young girl. She probably was in her early twenties, like this weekend at the gig. And, uh, she started talking to me. I didn't know what she was going to say, but she's like, I'm learning to DJ. And I was like, Oh, cool. And she's like, I'm only learning on vinyl. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of cool. And she explained why. And then she explained the process and she was having a very similar experience where I was like, all right, you have the right mindset, you know, like you're really approaching this from the right place. And there's something about paying your dues and putting in the work that's going to just give you that perspective that you could never get um, any other generation, The younger generation, like I feel like always like is looking for the quick way out. Like, and I look at some of these guys and I'm like, yo, do you remember like when I used to have to like flyer drop and put flyers on cars because (laughs) I had a beeper and not a cell phone and there there was no social media and I had to make a club busy and they're like, what did you just say? I was like, yeah, yeah that's what I had to do. Yeah. Just go fly a park lots of street corners yeah. and, and have the, have the, the, yep. like the club up the street, send their goons after you. Cause you were in their territory. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, yeah. And, and now it's just like, dude, I put the flyer on Instagram story. Yeah. Like, what else do you want me to do? And I'm exactly. like, that's why when, I, when we were talking earlier, it's so easy to do it. Now there's no excuse for you not to do it. I say it all the time. It's like, wait a minute. We take the time to do all of this to, to hire the best talent on the globe to do all the, you know, all the flyers and to do everything. We send it to you in a group chat where we say like, share, and comment. <laughs> Dude, how long does that take? Five seconds right. for you to double tap the screen and say, great, see you there or whatever. If you don't do that, you don't deserve to be in this business. You don't because yeah. it's like, you know, it's like we've done it all for you. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, yeah. Again, well, you're right. Not to go. No, no, but you're right with the social. Like you, you mentioned it earlier that the social media aspect has almost eliminated some of the social part, which is crazy because it's made it yeah. a, a lazy social. Like it's not like when somebody's like you guys are telling social me a story. Media right, like it's as if you guys are telling me a story right now, and I don't even respond. I just push a button where three fire emojis just pop up on the screen, and then you're supposed to go, "All right, thanks." Like that's the only interaction we have now. Is like sometimes you know and it also it, it, like the difference between sometimes on saturday and hopefully our thursdays it's like yo we had an open format dj a couple saturdays ago dropped dmx and then dropped a bunch of other songs and i was like yo people are dancing they don't have their phones up yeah trying to take a video of the dj they actually are dancing right. like i used to do it in the 90s and i was like <laughs> i want this more you know yeah. yeah totally i know that's been a that's that's you know, that's been the evolution of DJing and it becoming this this performance thing. And and also I saw in Vegas how the producers were becoming big and wanted to find a way to perform. And the only way for them to perform was to learn to use CDJs. And, you know, I remember seeing Avicii doing it. He wasn't a DJ. He was just making this amazing music. And he came out with this song that everyone at every single club was listening to him going crazy. So they're like, you need to figure out how to perform, dude. And obviously he's like, okay, I got to figure out how to twist these knobs and do this, <laughs> you know, stuff here. And that's why it was funny to see the evolution of these, um, a lot of the EDM DJs in Vegas and Atlantic City and in the casinos because they would come in with the pre-planned set and they'd have the 90-minute thing with their songs and a couple things. But then a few of them, I think, would realize that you could – that that – that there was something different to DJing that you could throw those curveballs and you could make the crowd dance and you could control them in different ways. And there's people like Diplo who come from the real life 
real real DJing world. You know what I mean? A-Track, Dylan Francis. Like, Dylan Francis knows how to rock an open format room if he was just a DJ, you know? But he became this big producer, and so he knows how to fuse both worlds and create this amazing DJ show mixed with the new school EDM performance type thing or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I think, you know, and it's been interesting to see the DJ, the the sort of producer performers sort of learn about DJing and learn about like, oh, wow, you can do this. It doesn't have to be one transition record that goes to House of Pain, jump around and everybody jumps and then it goes back up tempo and you're done. <laughs> you know, like, so it was, you know, I, I just, it was, it's interesting to watch that over, over time and see both worlds, how different they are, but also merge and come together um, and be able to play each other's music in cool ways and use each other's techniques and, and stuff like that. Um, so interesting. Um, w- one thing, Manny, I saw you post on, I mean, I saw you post a bunch of cool things on your Instagram, but there was something about, uh, it took 20 years to make this happen. And you had a picture with Tiesto from 20 years ago in 2001. And then you had a picture with him 20 years later. Um, can you tell the story about that? Sure. So, you know, um, um, when I was in Boston, um, you know, I don't want to say the things were on the ground because on the ground is different to a lot of different people. But, you know, it was it was great. to You know, look, when we talk about DJ culture, we're not talking about 100 years ago. Yeah. DJ culture basically stemmed like from the 70s, really, from disco music. Yeah. So it's like we, it's great for us that, that we're we were like. Right there. It's not something that, oh, my God, this happened like, you know, 100 years ago. Yeah. Um, you know, I um, I was working uh, in Boston as a DJ and I had a record store. And and um, at the time uh, I was influenced by, you know, European music. Right. And um, when I was uh, when I was at Avalon, uh, I was doing Thursdays, uh, which was a very, for lack of a better word, Euro influenced uh, night. It was the night that um, you know a lot of the European kids that were that were in you know going to uh, to college in Boston would come on Thursday because it was it was basically uh, programmed around them. And anyway, so I, I started getting um, playing these these you know um, these records. Um, that and it was all they all had you know like the common you know common denominator it was some of them were like armin van buren uh you know tiesto but this is before like like tiesto you know became like who obviously who who he became and who he is today so i had always wanted to like i gotta book this guy i gotta book this guy and um um i don't know if you know who pete muzzo is you know from from dc yeah for sure uh he was uh yeah, so obviously he became very, very successful. But so um, I was booking some so he owns and like I, Echo and I, Stage and stuff like that. Is that what yeah, you're yeah. Saying? So he had for years, you know, Glow in DC was right. was was his huge. Him and his partner used to do that, and they were booking a lot of trance. They were booking a lot of the Dutch guys, a lot of the German guys, and and I was a lot of you know at the time it was the sound that I was that I was playing at Avalon, and uh, it wasn't really being played anywhere else in the city it was it was you know if you wanted to hear that european sound you would come to see me at avalon on a uh you know on a thursday and then saturday right um so uh georgia costa's manager uh who was you know unfortunately passed away uh, he was he had a really good 
um, tie-in with a lot of the German guys and the guys from Black Hole, right? Which is where, like, you know, Tiesto basically, uh, uh, that was the, you know, the original record label that he was putting out all this stuff. So it just so happened that I wanted to book Tiesto at Avalon. And Avalon was where, like, the big, big guys were coming at the time. We, like I said, we were booking uh, very big talent. And Tiesto, at that, unfortunately, at that time just wasn't there. Yeah. But I being DJ and having my ear to the, you know, to the street, I'm like, I, I, I got to get this guy. So um, I spoke to um, there, there was some friends uh, that I had in Rhode Island that owned the nightclub up there um, called Metropolis. And I was doing some stuff with them. And, um, you know, a conversation was had between uh, their talent buyer uh, at the time. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, ownership and myself, and then these guys that, you know, like Pete Muzzo and, uh, and Frank, and all of a sudden we were able to, to make one of those things where he came, he played in, he played in Miami, played in DC, and we brought him up to, to, uh, Rhode Island on, on a Sunday. And I was, I was a huge fan, you know, yeah. uh, but again, I was a fan as a DJ of the music, him not being really popular at the time. So we took that picture, you know, he was just very down to earth. He was happy to, to kind of be in a market that he had never been to. Yeah. Um, I think he was paid $5,000 to, you know, to DJ. And, um, you know, we sat, we had a few Heinekens. He had a great time. Um, I think one of his requests was that uh, he wanted to go to Dunkin' Donuts after. So he got on his gig, got in a limo, went to Dunkin' Donuts <clears throat> and over the years, you know, uh, at one at one point, you know, we would stay in touch. Then obviously he became so, so popular that, you know, I just so I would go to gigs to see him, like not see him, but because uh, I, I lost that that relationship. Right. But, um, you know, and then look, here we are. Right. Fast forward. Uh, we book him here. And I, I I'm always a kind of stand back sort of guy yeah i'm never the guy that wants to be in your space and all that stuff but he came we actually we set up his green room in the nightclub he was playing you know playing at the beach club and you know there was so pete came up from dc uh with them um and a few other uh, you know a few other friends his agent paul morris and it was just you know it just felt it was one of those things that like wow here we all are and all the things that i've done over the years i had never met paul morris a lot of interactions, never met him face to face. So here we are. It's like Pete Muto, uh, you know, Tiesto, Paul Morris, uh, Kelly Cobb, who mm -hmm. did a lot of production, does a lot of uh, a lot of his shows. And here we all are just like old friends. Right. And yeah. I, I went up to him and I just said, hey, man, you know, this is and he, I told him the story. He was like, holy shit, because I remember going to Dunkin Donuts. I had never been to a Dunkin Donuts. It was a very cool moment for me. That's amazing. Like, me, personally, That's you know, because you, you look, I mean, you've, you, there's things that are very vivid, as I'm sure, as I'm sure for you in your yep. career. There are yep. things that are only like, that maybe you only you know about, right? Mm -hmm. that, that are cool to you, that mean something to you. And, and life always comes back full circle. And um, so that was, that was cool that we were able to take that picture again and kind of like 20 years apart. And um, yeah, it was great. So yeah, it was. I was happy. That's so cool. That that's also speaks to so many things we've talked about with the be cool with everybody on the way up, way down type thing and stay in he, touch. He's one of the cool ones. 
He's one of the cool yeah. ones in, yeah. that, that's at that higher echelon of the year. Anyway. Oh, yeah. I he's mean, cool I think I he has some that. he has some potential to do some big things, Tiesto. Yeah, it could be. Uh, yes, <laughs> we're, we're all pulling for him. <laughs> <laughs> I hope he breaks through that $5,000 rate uh, ceiling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, soon, soon, soon. Oh, my God. I saw pictures from, like, I think he's at Zook in, uh, in, now in Vegas, and it just looks nuts. Yeah. So amazing. Yeah. Uh, well, that's so cool. It's such a dope. That's such a dope story. I love to hear that. Um, um, all right. Well, shoot. I mean, we've learned so much. I had a few other questions. Maybe we'll do a couple quick ones and then uh, start to wrap it up. But um, uh, I got to pick my kid up from school. We got that dad life kicking in. I know I got he gets off in uh, 45 minutes. So I think I'm good. Uh, we got and then we're going to football practice. My wife's in Palm Springs. So, you know, it's doing that dad life and then i'm out to vegas tomorrow my son i i always wonder like what he thinks he's like what are my parents doing you know like my dad yeah. i'm terrified of that it's like, crazy like, dude i don't know it's you know when i come home at five o'clock in the morning from work i think and what am i supposed to tell him you tell like, him, you know you tell him the truth you tell him look if you have a dream and something you're interested in you can make it happen. And I think hopefully that's inspirational to them. Like, yes, I'm working hard for you, but I have a different life than some of the other parents. And it's cool, yeah. you know, and, and, and my life came from me following my dreams and putting all the work I had to, to put into it. And, uh, you could do that too, whatever your possible, you know, thing is. Cause sometimes I have the same thoughts of like, Oh God, am I a degenerate dad? You know, like coming home all late and I'm yeah. tired and I'm sleeping. But I think, you know, I mean, he's, he's nine. When does he get social media? When he's 13, he's going to see you on flyers, like in Vegas. He knows already, it's you know, awesome. he's, I mean, it's that's awesome. what, that's what, that's what the lockdown did. He became my MC and my co DJ because we have to DJ all the school events, all the school uh, holiday fundraisers and everything that I would go help out with in real life turned into Zoom. So he's in this room with me over here. We got a green screen and he's on this mic and he's like, yo, I see you. He's calling out all his friends on Zoom and he's helping me come up with mashups of like, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth with Dua Lipa, don't stop, you know, now. And, you know, he's learning, oh, the baseline goes with it. I'm like, I know, you know, so it's actually become this father-son thing or they're like, why is he so good at this? Does he go with you? I'm like, no, I don't know. He just like became good at it. <laughs> he's learned in the Zoom, uh, grown, grown up in the Zoom world. And you never know things that I think I'll have to hide from him. Just he ends up seeing and, and he understands. And we're in the car with him and his friend yesterday. I'm driving him to soccer practice and they're asking me about my gig in Cabo. And his friend's like, I heard parties are crazy in Mexico. I'm like, you're eight, dude. How do you know any of this? No, no, no. Not at all. Oh. Oh, I'm like, I had tacos. You can't know about anything else. No, I mean, it's 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 crazy, man. Yeah. But do they um, call you spider. Like, do they go to their their parents and like, yo, we're going to spiders out. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know. The, the, I think a lot of the people at the school definitely tend seem to like they get a kick out of calling me DJ Spider and Spider and all the like 
teachers. I mean, and- Zach, I wouldn't allow it. What, you going to whose house? Spider? No, 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 no. no. <laughs> He's probably in a gang. Yeah. Got a lot of tattoos. Highly questionable. No. It's the truth. It's the truth. I know. I mean, you're talking about the DJ school. I'm like, I need to open up a school, too, because every single kid is trying to become a DJ now. You know, they're all yeah. like, oh, so my kid's trying to learn how to DJ. And I'm like, all right, just sign up for Beat Source. Get him a little thing. I got you. I'll uh, I'll show you. Show you how to get the music. That's Because that's the other thing, though. All the parents are like, how the hell do we get the music? I'm like, okay, well, I've got something called Beat Source right here for you. Just subscribe. Uh, <laughs> funny you should ask. Uh, but, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, man. I could talk about the DJ dad life for a long time, something me and Vice talk about and everyone talks about and that, that are in our world. But And I'm constantly learning. I don't have the answers. But, um, you know, he surprises me all the time. Um, awesome. So, um I guess before we get out of here, um, is there anything else that that you guys have learned about being about promoting things, marketing things, building things up like or being a promoter that that you've learned that you could um, give anybody insight into, like for people that are trying to start their own parties or market their own things? Um, You've really told us a lot, but is there anything else you think you could add on to it? Yeah, other than 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 the being nice thing, um, <laughs> yeah. Which, I, no, seriously, like right. like other than that, um, from from a marketing and a, a promotional standpoint, in, in my personal opinion, it's you're never going to succeed unless you have those failures yeah. and you get your ass kicked yep. and you throw a party where two people show up or you lose a bunch of money or there's a bad booking and you learn from it and keep pushing and learn from your mistakes. And and like, you'll never get to that full room successful night without the empty rooms. It's just impossible. So, you know, like I would say, yeah, you can overthink it like as much as you want, but until you have the experience, you won't. Yeah, it, it just comes from experience. You know, there's a lot of luck, but it, uh, it it also comes from hard work, strategy, and and failure. Okay, that's good. I would say if I could give anybody one piece of advice, and this can apply in any uh, really uh, in any business, know your market. Um, you know, as yeah. someone that has been in different markets and in this business as long as I have, you know, I I you know, would get so tired and frustrated where, for example, and we've all heard this, and I'll just use this like a, a generic uh, uh, example, like, you, you know, you're in a you're in a boardroom or you're in a meeting and you're talking about, uh, you know, what you're going to do. And somebody says, well, you know, in New York, we, we did this. Oh, you know, in Vegas. OK, check the zip code. OK, <laughs> so wherever true. you are. So true. Right. It's it's what works in your market. I hate when people say. Well, you know, the market's going to dictate to you when you can do. Okay. I'm not saying that's wrong. That that can also apply. But I like to think differently and say, hey, you create the market. Yeah. It, you know, it doesn't mean that, that. See, the market isn't everyone. The market is, you know, let's say that, that, that um, you know, house music is popular or open format or hip hop or whatever. Well, let's say like. People that like tech house, I guarantee you that no matter we, as an example, right, there are people that like tech house. Now, it just it's you creating something that speaks to them. Yeah. So again, knowing your market is 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 understanding 
who, what makes it tick, what works, who the players are, and setting and coming up with, with, you know, with a plan and a strategy that's going to get you there. And understanding also that, you know, success isn't overnight. You said that, hey, how did, how did you learn to scratch like that? Hey, man, 10 years of hard work. Yeah. Okay. And guess what? You didn't give up after 10 years. You continue to fine tune what yeah. you do because that's, that's you want to be successful in any business. You can never say I've learned everything because yeah. the day you do that, oh, like I already know everything. That's the day that you're done. True. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of different components, right? But I mean, to me, it's always having, being humble, having uh, the approach that I don't know everything, but I'm willing to learn. And, and sometimes listen, listen, because you can get great advice, um, you know, sometimes even from people that know nothing about your business. Yeah, it's you know you you you, nine, you have a nine year old son, right? So a lot of times, like when I'm, um, you know, when I'm making music, I'll let my kids listen to it because ultimately, ultimately, we're making music for so that for that generation. Yeah, and 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 you know, especially kids, they don't have a filter. They'll tell you, no, "I don't like that." Yeah, you know, and it's like it's a it's a, it's a slap of reality, but. We all need that. We need people around us that, that, that kind of keep it real with you. I write this just the same way that maybe, you know, somebody says, hey, dude, you know, stop drinking. Right. Yeah. I'm like, don't do that. It's a bad idea. We need people like that. But just for me, I go back to it. It's like, hey, you know, know your market, because ultimately, if you're in that market and you want to succeed in it, you better understand what makes that market tick. We're in a very commercial market. You know, we, we're, we're on the edge of the ocean. It's not like you're driving through an interstate. Oh, what what is that building over there? No, it's not us. Like, right. we're not off the side of the road. To come here, you have to drive here. You're not driving yeah. by and you see it. So for us, things that work in New York or even Philadelphia, 52 miles from us, they don't work here. Yeah, totally. You know, when I hear about like a, a techno artist that sells out 8,000 tickets in Brooklyn Mirage, right. and we can't sell 30 tickets, doesn't matter how much I want, you know, maybe I may be a fan and I want that show to be here, but it would flop. Right. So ultimately I have a responsibility to ownership and my teammates to do something that works for the business. So... Hopefully that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. And I've been on both ends of that too. Been like booked at places where it wasn't the right thing, you know, and, and it hasn't come together. And, and yeah, that, that makes so much sense. That's, that's so smart. Um, and such a great way to look at it. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, so, and we like, need a part two of this. Yeah, we, yeah. we need a part two, man. We need another two hours. Like, you know, we need a follow up. I, I honestly, it's funny because we've gone like well over two hours and I have, I was looking at my notes and I have so much other stuff. So definitely one day we should do a part two. What we need to do is have our night next week, do that, make this a successful night for the rest of the year. And then we'll do the part two in person. Like we were saying, we'll do it uh, at your place or somehow, or when you guys are in LA or something. And, uh, We'll, we'll be able to discuss how the night went and so many other things that we've learned. And, um, and I think what you said, Zach, too, is the, the not being afraid to fail and just jumping into it thing. That applies to everything. That's something I share with my son where, you know, he's really good at soccer. He's really good at other things, but he's trying to learn baseball and he's trying to learn pitching and he was getting frustrated at himself. And I said, 
you have to be bad to become good. No one was just yeah. born good at anything, no matter what. You know, you have to be able to mentally be strong enough to make it through sucking at something and being inside yourself yeah. and realizing you suck to break through that. You know, and if you're so if you let the your your self-esteem get beat down or oh this sucks or or that didn't work i'm then i i, I failed i'm done then you're done but it, so it matters more of like how you got back up rather than how you fell you could fall down 20 times i've bombed as a dj i'm sure comedians have bombed i'm sure chefs have made horrible meals you know thrown horrible parties like it applies to everything day traders you know everybody says it i think um so yeah, stay the course stick to the plan yeah Keep hustling man yeah yeah, that's so true. You'll never appreciate sweetness if you haven't tasted bitterness. Oh my god, so, that's that's, you know, that's so universal. Tasty. Like that statement, yeah. it's it's the truth. You know, I feel like they have I that. I always, yeah, I always look at uh, mistakes as learning opportunities. They're not. I don't think that there's such thing as mistakes. So you look at something that that maybe you planned or you you wanted to do a certain way and. And, uh, you know, rather than let it get you down, just look, okay, well, you know, what could I have done differently? Right. Yeah. And because uh, accountability starts with you. You can't blame others for where you are or why you're not where you want to be. You know, start with you. Ask yourself why and then yeah. build from there. That's so true. You can make as many excuses as you want, but the things are going to happen no matter what. There's always going to be things out of your control. So, it's it is ultimately your responsibility at the end of the day no matter what happens and that's why if like i'm up there djing and something's all messed up and it's not my fault i'm still gonna try to fix it and make it good no matter what yeah. and it goes back to the idea yeah. of all of us being a team like the lighting guys having a malfunction or the sound guy or something crazy's happening just you know make it as a dj make it seem like it's supposed to be happening or just make the best of it or even this weekend like that gig i was doing they had us hooked up to this weird power signal i would build up the crowd they would start going crazy and the power would cut off and i was like yo and then they'd be like what's happening and so i would start like a chant like with no mic so and then they would all start doing it it would give the guy enough time to redo the fuse thing plug it back in and then it started back up and then it happened again and i was like i'm gonna kill you dude but then i had to do it again <laughs> And then finally, it was only happened three times. And after the third time, somehow, like magically, we turned off all the other lights and it, it worked. But you just have to make shit work. And, you know, it was probably my like millionth gig, but it's like still new shit was happening to me that had never happened before. You're constantly learning. Yeah. I think that's the beauty of our job. And that's where we're lucky that we're constantly having new experiences, which keeps our job interesting you know and keeps us young and and our brain functioning i feel like you know like constantly dealing with new stuff and um you know we're, we're lucky to to have that where it's not just day in day out the same exact shit and i think that's why you two are exceptionally good at your job and successful and will only be getting more successful because you're you you're open to learning and you're you're humble and no matter what you've done you know that there's more in front of you you're not like all right i'm done what can i just come in and do my thing and and getting to know you both of you through this conversation has just been so cool and eye-opener and just to you know i just i gained like even more respect for you guys through this conversation so thanks for taking the time to come on here and drop the knowledge for all our listeners. I feel like DJs, if they're not taking notes or getting some from something from this, then they're, they're missing out. 
Well, this sucked. I don't know about you, but I mean, <laughs> I'm going to red line the rider so much horrible. after this. <laughs> I'm going to ask for a bunch <laughs> of crazy <laughs> shit. <laughs> well, the only thing I need to make sure is that nobody is opening for me in my booth and that I, I have a complete... <laughs> Listen, I'm gonna go turn on the fax machine. I'll be Jason Lights fire. I got a Jason 42 Lace page fax coming in right now, oh, and so dude. I just need to. Uh, <laughs> that was the other thing you I want. I, I did want more. Oh. I I wanted. I was gonna ask you like any other stories about people having to pull DJs or or bad people you dealt with oh. over the years or good, you know. But but I feel like we've 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 done a lot. We can uh, we we can end it on that good note here, and then do a part two. Um, we'll, uh, we'll do dinner, right? We'll do dinner when you come here. Can't wait. Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk a little bit more and listen, man, if there's ever an opportunity to come and just have these, you know, I think these are conversations like this are great because they're organic. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, I think that maybe more things like this need to happen because I think that maybe that the industry, um, sometimes like paints a picture of, of, uh, of glamour, right? Totally. And it is pretty glamour. Right. Yes. But there, there's a whole there's a whole side of the the history and the struggles and the and the things that, that really uh, go into in, into doing events and, and not just big events. Right. Not, not just large scale festivals, but a lot of work that people um, uh, put into making things happen. And, and there's a lot of people that work behind the scenes that, you know, are not as fortunate as some of us to have a platform to yeah. be able to say, this is what I do, this is where I come from. So I, I you know, <clears throat> um, I always take that into, into, into consideration that, that, uh, you know, the team is made up of different people and everybody has different functions and, uh, nobody's function is more important than the next because collectively yeah. together, you know, we're, we're just, you know, it's, it's like a puzzle, yeah. a puzzle. You can have a thousand pieces, right? And you can have 999 put together and one missing. You're not, it's, it's, you know, yeah. it, it doesn't work. No, so it's so true. It'll be an opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm so glad you guys took the time to do this. And I think it is important for the industry to have places where they can learn. And we want to pass down the right principles and the right things to people that are going to be coming up and taking over our jobs and things that over time, you know, and coming into the industry because like they are, some of them are, are just learning from quick little flashes on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and going, Oh, this is what things should be. But um, that's what I noticed with this, having this platform and this podcast and working with beat source and DJ city and stuff like that is that, in the beginning, I thought, oh, we'll be just be telling funny DJ stories about someone like puked in the booth or something, you know, and and it is fun to tell those stories. But I like the educational aspect of it, just like you started that school and you created the curriculum and you were really uh, meticulous about it. And you wanted to pass down the 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 right way to do things to people so our industry can keep thriving. I think things like this too, these conversations being out there that take away some of the mystery and mystique of the DJ side and the booking side and can show people that want to go into these industries, what goes into it, the amount of time and the principles and the right attitudes towards it, you know? So it's kind of like a, hopefully some somewhat educational and entertaining at the same time to, to people listening and, 
and stuff like that, uh, especially if they made it two and a half hours in here. <laughs> We're like, this will be an hour. But no, I mean, there was so much good stuff. Let's definitely do a part two. I can't wait to hang with you guys in person. Uh, so anybody that's this far into it, October 21st, we're kicking it off uh, at HQ2 Nightclub. We're doing Sicker Than Your Average Thursdays. It is going to be incredible, and uh, I am so grateful I get to kick it off. And then the next week, you got DJ Vice, the king, and uh, so many amazing people after that. So, yeah, thank you guys, Manny and Zach, for, for coming on the 20 podcast. And I uh, can't wait to hang with you next week. Awesome, thank you man. so much for having us, man. You take care. All right. Thanks talk for having to us. you soon, for sure. See, See ya. Take care. Bye. All right. Great episode. Like we said, might have to do a part two after we do this night in Atlantic City. And, um,. You know, I want to learn more about these guys. So much great stuff in this episode. Thank you to Zach and Manny for coming on the show. Can't wait to see you guys uh, next week. And thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, we are almost at episode 100, so this is so exciting. We've been doing this for a while now. Uh, please remember to rate and review the show. Tell your friends. Let me know who you want on the show. And... Uh Keep listening. Love you guys. The 20 Podcast is produced by BeatSource. Join us next week for more interviews as we discuss music that matters to DJs. I'm DJ Spider signing off. Peace. And that was The 20 with DJ Spider.